sunny but underneath the surface lies a dark world behind your safe little havens that y'all call home beneath the surface there's an evil that festers and grows where the american dream goes dark this is the literary license podcast america goes dark episode your book to screen show where we head down a dark alley and discover the books the films and all the darkness in between with your co-host Leandro Gazi, Craig Johnson, David Grant, Vicky Ray, and Keith Shago. Things may look perfect on the outside, but what really goes on behind closed doors? Welcome to the Literary License Podcast, and this book to screen, we'll be covering the book and watching the film. And today's month, today we're covering To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee and the film from 1962. Before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got David with us. Hello, David. Hi, good afternoon. We got Leandro Gazi with us. Hello, Leandro. Hello, everyone. We got Vicky Ray with us. Hi, everybody. And unfortunately, Craig's not here because Craig's in Spain with his mom, but I'm your co-host, oh, Keith Jealous. And before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with you, David, what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Uh, well, not much since I was sick uh, the week, last week. You sound so, this week, so I've much got... better. Oh, yes. My voice has come back. I feel, I feel very much like Ariel after the Ursula <laughs> incident. <laughs> um, well, no, I've not done much, to be honest. I've been working, working, working. It's been a bit of a shock to go back to work after 10 days of sickness. 10 days, I'm not joking. Um, and then just relaxing at home, playing some video games. Um, but that's about it. I didn't do much this week. Well, so nothing interesting from this side. Yeah, no, but this week I, was, I got better. The throat was still getting a little bit better. You were pretty um, sick, though. I'm surprised you came on yeah. at all. You couldn't barely talk, you poor thing. 
Well, it was it, 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 it was um, it was like an honor thing. I will be there anyway because you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, much better now. Uh, but I've not done much this week apart from work. I went out with my colleagues yesterday because of my uh, team leader who's changing teams. So that's super sad. Um, but and then we went out drinking. Uh, but that's about it. Nothing else. So that's it for me. What about yourself, Leandro? What are you up to? Uh, working, I went to try to renew a passport for the third time and I couldn't do it. They told me that I have to go to London, so I was really what? happy. Yes. For a passport? <laughs> yes. Um, Is it that to... difficult to get one over there? Usually we just go to our no, no, the office thing is here. To... Uh, it's a bit tricky. I'm uh, I'm Italian, but I was born in another country, and then to That's be, right. you have to do a lot of things. So they think you're a full blown terrorist, just trying to get out wherever you're trying to go. <laughs> they won't be able to. <laughs> um, so, well, what's mental? After taking um, do everything to to have an appointment, present all the papers, and the man said, "Oh yeah, but you live you live in this place," and said, "Yes." Well, uh, this is not our region. You need to go to London. I said, no, you're joking. It's the third time that I have been here. <laughs> yeah, so they said, move back home. So uh, then I have, well, working, reading, training, um, driving a bit, and that's all. And what about yourself, Vix? What are you even up to? Been picking up my yard. We had like some massive tornadoes and wind and everything come by through two, three nights ago. I was like... I don't really pray to anybody, but when I hear when I hear that kind of wind come, I'm just like, if you're up there, could you make it go over to the next county, please? But now we got a lot of a lot of stuff outside. I still got to pick up, but um, considering it's not a whole lot going on in our life, Asher's getting back into his uh, motorcycle stuff. He's kind of graduated from BMX. But I watched. Um, did you guys get a chance? Well, I don't know if I talked to you guys, but Keith, did you watch Piggy on Hulu? No, it's not, it's, not, it's not over here yet. Oh, really? I should just give you my login. You can watch it for mine. But yeah. um, it's really actually very good. Finished watching Witches of Mayfair. They had their season finale. It's not quite like the book that Anne Rice wrote, but oh, okay. it's, it's well, pretty good. There's a lot, there's quite a few different things. I guess if the book is huge, but you can't really do everything that's in the book. You know, but mm. I mean, it's really good. Finally got around to watching Megan. I was going to watch that with Asher and I want to make sure it was kind of okay. Creepy ass robot. You know what's really scary about those robots? I know you guys probably seen them on social media, but they got sex dolls that look like that now. They look I know. like people. I got, it is I got one. Creepy. <laughs> you got, you got a $10,000 sex doll. Of course. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, got, it, it's built in my image, so it's even better. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Well, Dad, you could really fuck yourself that way. Yeah, exactly. I, I can fuck myself like a permanfordite. <laughs> like a boss, like a boss. What did I also? I watched Carnival Road. I'm not halfway through the second season. That's on um, on Prime. I'm actually liking that. And Wolfpack. I've watched their the fifth or sixth episode. It comes out every Wednesday. Just because I'm so glad to see Sarah Geller back. In, in yeah business and there's a lot of good movies I'm, I'm gonna go watch 65 million or 65 i can't remember what it's called but it's got lots of dinosaurs and i just it just looks great it looks like a fun movie i think hollywood is starting to make that swing back after top gun kind of said well this is where the money's gonna go if you want to make any 
And I think that we're going to see some better things coming out of Hollywood. And I cannot put this book down, thanks to Keith and Joe, but I got the Kindle version of Hollywood Babylon. And the book is awesome. But the thing is, you know what, Keith? It lets you blow up the pictures. It's like it's made for the Kindle. And so oh, it's not, good. yeah, you can blow up the pictures. I mean, the print is a bitch, but the pictures, you know, so there's some really squirrely shit in there. I love Vincent Price. I'm not even going to go into Vincent Price, his personal life, but there is so much shit in that book that is, I, I just love it. It's hysterical. Vincent Price was quite the, uh, <clears throat> he got around a lot, yeah. a lot. <laughs> which, which one did you get? The first or second? I got book? the first one. I got the okay. first edition. I'm going to go buy the second one just because I wish I could have bought it as a table book, but they're expensive. And that yeah. movie, I don't think people realize that that movie Babylon came out is not about that book, although it does kind of follow the crazies yeah, yeah. of the it's, 20s it, and 30s. It does, it does steal stuff, but they like give it to other characters. It does stuff. steal stuff. But my goodness, even if you weren't gay or if you weren't uh, 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 any kind of crazy sodomite or slutty whatever, you would do it anyway. These people were crazy. And I mean, I don't even hold it against them because I get it. I, I just love the stories. I just love the stories. And I don't even know if the newer generation of Hollywood is going to be near as entertaining as everything before 1975. But I mean, the stories are just fantastic. I'm going to buy my mother a copy off of eBay if I can find a good used book. Because yeah, I think, I think you can get a copy off eBay for like three or four quid. Yeah, I'm trying to find one the, for the prints, you know, half like a like the mass market. I'm trying to find yeah. one of those. I was telling my mother is so cool. She's going on 91. You can tell that woman anything. But it's it's a great book. If you love Hollywood, you like the old stars, this book is a must-have for any library. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> I might never be the same. <laughs> but anyway, what's going on with you, Keith? Um, not a lot, actually. Just been working. I went back to work this week. Um, I work, I'm at work this week and next week that I'm off for two weeks. Um, but not a hell of a lot, to be honest with you. Um, just been taking it easy and watching some stuff. Last of Us, of course, I'm watching, um, which I'm always enjoying. And then I am um, started watching Django, the series Django. Oh, is it a series? Yeah, it's a series that's, well, it's HBO it in America. Movie? No, it's the series. I didn't know there was one. Oh, The Last uh, of Us was watching that too. Oh my God, I love The Last of Us. It's so good. Yeah. How is the book going? And then, um, what? I, I thought you said you were uh, you were writing a book. Yeah, yeah my book's oh, my, yeah. Yeah, it's going good. Um, I've done 150 pages of it so far, so... Uh, I got I to gotta go back through and start tinkering now, but, um, and then it's not finished, but, you know, I need to go back and tinker. So far so from what you sent me, it's forward. very intriguing. I'm looking forward to the published full whatever. Yeah, the new, my new agent's quite happy with it at the moment. So, we're, I mean, they're talking Pretty about, like, Do you I mean, have she's talking about a book, time. a book tour next year and everything, but we'll wait until, wait till it's finished. And I mean, it could be a pile of shit, who knows? But at the moment, I guess people are quite happy with it. I liked what you sent me. So, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's not horror or anything like that. It's kind of, I mean, my writing, whether you read my short stories or something like that, I don't write horror. It's quite bizarre, and people are quite shocked by that. Well, except <laughs> but, for the few scripts you got into. Well, script, scripts I do. I write horror scripts, but when I write stories or short stories, they're not horror. So, but we'll wait and see. I'm, you know, I'm you know, working my way through it. I'm just doing a bit here and there and sort of thing. I got into July anyway, so I got a little bit of time to finish that. Okay. So, but other than that, um, what else have I watched? Um, have you seen a movie called The Whale? I what haven't watched it? that yet. The Whale with Brendan Fraser. I yeah. want to watch it. Everybody told me it was going to make me sad. And I hate seeing Brendan Fraser get so big like that. But I guess he got big for the movie. And mm -hmm. I guess they superimposed a lot of his bigness. But I heard it was fantastic. Did you see it? Have you seen no, it? I haven't. And there's another one that I want to watch called The Cabin. Oh, I want to go see that too. Shamalian, Shamalian, is that right? Yeah, something like that. No, not that Huh? M. Nice Samalawala. <laughs> oh, so, so you, but I, well, the guy that made signs, and he always has yes. a cameo, but it's a big cameo. He cannot stay out of his own movies. And he can't act either, which is even he worse. He can, he needs to stay out of his own way. But I heard this one was actually going to be very good. Don't know. I don't hate his movies. People really bust the shit out of them. I like them. I did watch the um, Baz Luhrmann um, Elvis movie. I did watch that. I couldn't get through it. I just couldn't. Um, it's, uh, I think it was over long. Um, the guy who's, he doesn't look anything like Elvis, no. but he sounds but like But he's him. a great actor. He's a great actor. He's he's, he does talented. his own singing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, It's impressive. amazing, isn't it? But it does have I that just, whole I Baz guess I Lehrman. didn't like the format of the movie, I guess. Maybe. Well, it's that whole Baz Lehrman, Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet kind yeah. of in your face kind of quick. Well, I don't care about that, but action. I mean, I just, it just didn't reflect Elvis. I don't, I don't know what's happened to me, but for some reason, I really can't stomach Tom Hanks anymore. And I don't know why. I can tell you why, but it's going to get me in trouble. So I go say word. Mm. <laughs> Tom Hanks is just not, I don't know. I guess maybe we've seen so much of him. Maybe it's time for him to give somebody else a turn. <laughs> I don't know. Why, what movie did you see with him in it? Um, he's in Elvis. He plays Colonel Tom Parker. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but he other than that. He was kind of a tool in that, though. He's not a nice guy. Well, Tom Parker wasn't a nice guy. I mean, he fucked over no. Elvis but but the thing is let's be honest Elvis wasn't very bright either so well they kept talented. him joked up for baby you know? well he wasn't very bright when he wasn't on drugs he was kind of stupid so, yeah he was I mean, so beautiful when he was young I mean he was beautiful the eyes the hair you get the, the Indian just kind of came out in him in a beautiful way but yeah but y'all gotta watch yeah. A lot of people aren't going to be happy with that. It's about a big girl, so a lot of people weren't happy with it already, but it's a good movie. It's up your alley, Keith. Well, if I want to see fat people, I'll go outside. <laughs> <laughs> see, if I did that, we'd be getting emails right now. I can't say anything because I can't get away with it because the nasty emails would start. But Keith, mm, nobody ever says a word. Actually, actually talk, talking about politically incorrectness um i, I stopped now remember started watching a tv show on netflix called the good place i don't know if you've watched it i've uh, heard of that I've that's the one it. about heaven and he the heaven yes yes that's yes. the one no i haven't seen it. is it any good 
Um, I'm, I'm loving it. At first, I thought it was a little bit, uh, okay. Then I hated some characters, and then I started getting to them, and I was like, oh, wow. And it's exploding for me. Well I love it. It's, 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 a, it's a cute, lighthearted fun. Uh, it's quite funny, but nothing too I heard it was good. Heavy. I have not seen it myself, but I did. Uh, I, I really recommend it. It's, it's only, it's full season. What's it called again? Uh, the Good the Place. Good Place with um, Christian Bell and Ted Danson. Really? I even suggested it. I even suggested it to some of my colleagues and my managers, and I think it's fun. It's God, just Ted Danson, he's still kicking it. <laughs> I really recommend it. I'll check it out. That was very good. I I really liked it. So it's a good series, and they and they end it very well as well. So it's a limited number. Is it a series. Netflix show? Yep. I'm always yep. afraid to start a Netflix first season Obviously. anything because I'm gonna like it, and then they won't do another season. <laughs> they they've done full season so far. I mean, it, it, I mean, Kathy said it's finished. Right? Yeah, so. it's it's finished. They 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 it was commissioned for four seasons, so it, mm-hmm. and it ends at four seasons. They, but I like they when they I like when they started and finish it. And yes, you want more, but no, that's it. And then oh, at least it's a finished product. You know, Bill Skarsgård is going to be the new Crow. It's coming out next year. That doesn't look like okay. Bill Skarsgård. Um, it, it's not that Bill, but um, well, he looks like well, he looks like Pennywise. Yeah, it is Bill Skarsgård. He's gonna yeah. be the new Crow. I can't wait. I love the old Crow, and I love Bill Skarsgård. So we'll see. I like him in True Blood better, but oh well. <laughs> I wish they do no, a it's, True Blood. I no, just, it's Bill. Bill. Uh, Bill Skarsgård is Pennywise. Yeah. So, but the other one is. His brother. There's three of them in there. There's Bill. Yeah. Well, and then, and then Alexander the Skarsgård is the other one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Alexander's the one from True Blood. Yeah. And there's Bill. Bill's the one that's from Pennywise. So. He did such a good job at that. I was. It was a creepy clown, but I still my heart still belongs to Tim Curry. Two to Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, which is a novel that was first published in 1960 and was instantly successful in the United States. It is widely read in high schools and middle schools. To Kill a Mockingbird has become a classic of modern American literature, winning the Pulitzer Prize. The plot and characters are loosely based on Lee's observations of her family, her neighbors, and an event that occurred near her hometown of Monroeville, Alabama, in 1936 when she was 10. Despite dealing with the serious issues of rape and racial inequality, the novel is renowned for its warmth and humor. Atticus Finch, the narrator's father, has served a moral hero for many years and for many readers, and is a model of integrity for lawyers. The historian Joseph Crespino explains, in the 20th century, To Kill a Mockingbird is probably the most widely read book dealing with race in America, and his main character, Atticus Finch, the most endearing fictional image of racial heroism. As a Southern Gothic novel, um, the primary themes of To Kill a Mockingbird involve a racial injustice and the destruction of innocence. Scholars have noted that Lee also addresses issues of class, 
courage, compassion, and gender roles in the Deep South. The book is widely taught in schools in the United States with lessons that emphasize tolerance and decry prejudice. Despite its themes, To Kill a Mockingbird has been the subject of campaigns for removal from publication classrooms, often challenged for its use of racial epithets. In 20, 2006, British librarians ranked the book ahead of the Bible as one every adult should read before they die. Reactions to the novel vary widely upon publication, despite the number of copies sold and its widespread use in education, literary analysis of it is sparse. Author Mary McDonald Murphy, who collected individual impressions of To Kill a Mockingbird by several authors and public figures, calls the book an astounding phenomena. It was adopted into an Academy Award-winning film in 1962 by director Robert Mulligan with a screenplay by Horton Foote. Since 1990, a play based on the novel, which is performing at the moment in London West End, starring Matthew Mon Mon really? Modane. Yep. Um, um, as it informed Annalee in Harper Lee's hometown. To Kill a Mockingbird was Lee's only published book until Ghost Set a Watchman, an earlier draft of To Kill a Mockingbird was published on July 14, 2015. Lee continued to respond to her work's impact until her death in February 2016, though she has refused any personal publicity for herself or the novel since 1964. We're going to do is cut to the synopsis of To Kill a Mockingbird and be right back. This is the plot synopsis for To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. The story told by a six-year-old Jean Louise Finch takes place during three years, 1933 to 1935, of the Great Depression in the fictional town of Maycomb, Alabama, the seat of Maycomb County. Nicknamed Scout, she lives with her older brother Jeremy, nicknamed Jem, and their widowed father Atticus, a middle-aged lawyer. They also have a black cook, Caprinia, who has been with the family for many years and helped Atticus raise the two children. Jim and Scott befriend a boy named Dill, who visits Maycomb to stay with his aunt every summer. The three children are terrified yet fascinated by their neighbor, the reclusive Arthur Boo Radley. The adults of Maycomb are hesitant to talk about Boo, and few of them have seen him for many years. The children feed one another's imaginations and rumors about his appearance and reasons for remaining hidden and they fantasize about how to get him out of his house. After two summers of friendship with Dill, Scott, and Jem find that someone is leaving them small presents in a tree outside of Radley's place. Several times the mysterious Boo makes gestures of affection to the children, but to their disappointment, he never appears in person. Judge Taylor appoints Atticus to defend Tom Robinson, a black man who's been accused of raping a young white woman, Mela Yule. Although many of Maycomb's citizens disapprove, Atticus agrees to defend Tom to the best of his ability. Other children taunt Jem and Scout for Atticus's actions, calling him a nigger lover. Scout is tempted to stand up for her father's honor by fighting, even though he has told her not to. One night, Atticus faces a group of men intent on lynching Tom. This crisis is averted in an unexpected manner. Scout, Jem, and Dill show up, and Scout inadvertently breaks the mob's mentality by recognizing and talking to a classmate's father, and the would-be lynchers disperse. Atticus does not want Jem and Scott to be present at Tom Robinson's trial. No seat is available on the main floor, but the Reverend Skykes, the pastor of Caprina's church, invites Jem, Scout, and Dill to watch from the colored balcony. Atticus establishes that Mel and Bob Ewell are lying. It is revealed that Mayella made sexual advances towards Tom, resulting in her being beaten by her father. 
The townspeople referred to the Yules as white trash, who are not to be trusted, but the jury convicts Tom regardless. Jem's faith in justice is badly shaken. Atticus is hopeful that he can get the verdict overturned, but Tom is shot 17 times and killed while trying to escape from prison. Despite Tom's conviction, Bob Yule is humiliated by the events of the trial. Atticus explains that he destroyed Yule's last shred of credibility. Yule vows revenge, spitting in Atticus's face, trying to break into the judge's house and menacing Tom Robbins' widow. Finally, he attacks Jem and Scout while they are walking home on a dark night after a school Halloween pageant. Jem suffers a broken arm in the struggle, but amid the confusion, someone comes to the children's rescue. The mysterious man carries Jim home while Scott realizes that he is too Bradford. Sheriff Tate arrives and discovers Jewel dead with a knife wound. Atticus believes that Jim was responsible, but Tate is certain it was Boo. The sheriff decides that he is to protect Boo's privacy. He reports that Jewel simply fell on his own knife during the attack. Boo asks Scout to walk him home. As she says goodbye to him at his front door, he disappears, never to be seen again by Scout. While standing on Bradley's porch, Scout imagines life from Boo's perspective. And that is the synopsis for To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Now back to the show. Hello, welcome back to the Leisure License Podcast. And we're discussing To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. And starting with yourself, Leandro, what are your thoughts of To Kill a Mockingbird? Um, well, this is the second time I have read this book. The first time I read it like around 2010, I think. And yeah, I, I really like it, enjoyed um, the way how it's written, like kind of like from this uh, point of view of um, um, a child, at, at, you know, with the innocence of that she's not understanding things as, that, that are going around her. And then uh, how articles try to explain um, more like in, in in words that she can understand or with examples. Um, yeah, I no, I really enjoy it. Um, of course, well, there's the topic is not really like happy, right? But I, I yeah, I would recommend it. And what about yourself, Vicky? What are your thoughts on Kill Mockingbird? Well, but definitely, uh, it, it was definitely. I would say, I, I don't know if I want to say ahead of its time, but it, it had, um, you got civil rights, you got racism, um, you've got kids growing up in, in this kind of atmosphere, you've got maturity, you've got the feminine versus the masculine uh, roles and men's, uh, women and men's roles versus each other in the South because um, because a Scout is always looking for the perfect woman to, you know, follow after because she's a tomboy i totally resonate this this girl's character resonates because i was such a tomboy when i was a kid and my mother tried so hard to get me to you know fold my napkin do my put my hands demurely i just grew up with boys there were no girls in my neighborhood so you know you kind of run around play football and baseball and everything else with the guys um uh, this, this was the, I would say the major theme running through this was probably the Jim Crow laws. This is actually when America was shit with racism. You know, I don't, I mean, when you see, like when I see an older black person and we've got a lot of them here in our, our area in Greenville and, you know, when you're talking to them, you know, exactly that these people actually, I've only seen where in like in the Collin County courthouse here before they redid it. 
they um they uh had the bathrooms non-white that you know black and white and i've never seen that and that was 20 years ago but they were revamping this building before that they took it away and when you see these older the elderly black people they actually couldn't go to the bathroom or they couldn't drink out of the same bubbler as me and these are people that experienced true racism and it's very nastiest form and this 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 book is really good at synthesizing that but it also presents it to the reader where it's not an offensive novel because it's just like this gives you the empathy that's required to heal and to actually try to change things so it was ahead of its time and i'm glad it, it turned out do you know that um harper was it cecilia peck i believe gregory peck's daughter named her son harper because she said that this book was the greatest role that ever was given to her father so that's what i think i think it's an awesome book i've always thought it was an awesome book i just haven't reread it in many many years that's all i have to then say what i found interesting about this book this time around is that i read it in school because it's mandatory reading in american schools but what I, to be honest it actually resonated more for me as an adult than it did when i was a child I mean, I think I read it when I was 13. I think we have to read it in America. It was required 13, reading for at least in New York State. I know that. Yeah. And um, and I guess, to be honest, because like being from New York State, um, we don't really, we don't really have the racism problem in our area where we grew up. We're, that, never, that never was an issue. Um, you know, our for where, for where we're from, where Vicky and I are from, it's more about... Um, it's more social economic than it is with yeah. anything. So don't, we don't really deal. It's not, we don't really deal with a race problem up there no. to say that sort of thing, but we, but we do deal with like, there's a difference between the, the poor and the, the rich. And if you're poor, you're kind of screwed from there. But um, so I guess I didn't really, you know, when you read the book at that time, you don't, you don't, you know, you're not really concerned. And I remember like the reading the book. And at that time, we, you know, we had like good times and, you know, that kind of stuff on television in America. So, you know, we don't, you know, that we was don't Detroit. Really think Wasn't that set in Detroit? Chicago. Chicago. Okay. Chicago. So, Which one was set in Detroit? There was one in Detroit. Sanford and Sons and all the other stuff. And, the, and to be honest, I remember like, you know, and I don't know how other people were taught, but we were taught, you know, that we're all created equal and that everyone's equal and that you should never judge anyone based on, sex religion or race but judge mm -hmm. them on their character the content and, of their character as per mlk and i think i'm back home i think that's how we're all taught i mean that's kind of like a normal thing but we're up by the canadian border as well yeah. so you know and then i mean when, when you got like you know 18 feet of snow a year and it's totally white for like five months out of the year you're any any bit of color is probably welcome but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah so but now reading this now you know been you know going to oklahoma i went to tulsa oklahoma and that's where i went to uni and the thing is there's a railroad track that separates the um, east and the west sure and is. the black people live on one side of the um on the tracks and the white people live on the other and um and and then of course like in the downtown area for like about eight eight to ten um, square blocks there is a mixture of people that kind of mix and then it kind of separate as well 
It probably yeah. hasn't. Um, well, I mean, imagine now that the downtown area is probably too expensive for anyone to live there unless you're rich. So, um, so, and that's probably the first time I actually realized that there is a problem or seen anything like that. And then, um, you know, and, you know, you know, you notice things and stuff like that as you get older and stuff like this. So I guess reading the book now is like it kind of puts things more in perspective. But what yeah, I did like you, about you, don't you think that your experiences with life and, and as you go through life after several decades on the planet, that it does kind of resonate with you because it really is a great book. It really deserves all the credit that it, it has received. Well, I, I mean, the thing is, I, I don't know. I mean, growing up in upstate New York, we have different issues. I don't, but maybe if I was that age and I read it, maybe in Alabama or Georgia, maybe it would have a different effect on me maybe. at that time. I, it's hard to say. We didn't have, we were pretty homogeneous in Northern New York. I don't think we had a huge population of. Well, we had the McDonald family. And then we had um, the whatchamacallit family sort of thing. Um, they lived down the road from us. But yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot. But then Fort Drum. We were all friends, it. though. We didn't see color. Not this. Yeah. We well, I mean, they all went to IHC. Any any um, any um, people who are ethnically mixed, they tend to go to the Catholic school. But also, um, I mean, then when Fort Drum expanded, of course, now there's a lot yeah. more mixture of different eth ethnicities and stuff like that. But there's never any ethnic ethnic problems going on there. There's yeah. crack. There's crack. You know, the drug problem up there, but there's right. not a race problem up there. Um, so, so it was quite interesting to actually reread the book, and it actually had a lot more residents. But I also found what is quite interesting is that Kay Harper Lee's um, right, writing this book and she's this is she's basically writing a fictionalized account of her upbringing. Yeah, because Harper Lee's middle name is Finch and her father's right. name is Atticus. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I was like, um, I was trying and, when I was doing the research, I didn't really realize was he a, was he a lawyer? He was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. He worked on a case um, and that and the two the black men. Yeah, I got think lynched. the case was an actual case that she wrote about, right? Yeah. Well, the actual case that she's writing about was, was two men, and they were lynched before, uh, and, and there was no proof that anything happened. So, yeah. you know, so they, I mean, they, kind they of actually were like 30 years ago, like here at Jasper, uh, they actually dragged um, a black man behind the chain. So, I mean, th those idiots are still out there. They do mm. exist. We don't condone it. No, just saying. Self does not condone it. But there's idiots out there that, for whatever reason, have so much hate. It's not even funny. Well, I, you know what I found? What I found really interesting in this book, okay, you, you're kind of watching it, and I mean, you're kind of watching it, you're reading it, and you're getting all the like different people in town sort of thing, and you get the prim and proper who sit there. And this is what and this, and this is what kind of reminds me of our times today when people say that they're politically correct. Yeah. And the thing is, they pretend that they're politically correct and that they want equality. But when they open, and these are the people that kind of push this, the push this scenario. But then when you open up their mouths and they realize, yeah, they want equal rights just as long as it's not on their doorstep. <laughs> and, you know, and the thing is, you know, it's a bit like, um, you know, they're hypocrites. They, Say it. Well, it's hypocrites. It's a, it's a bit like I remember George Clooney. Let's take George Clooney when he was living in Lake Como. Yeah. 
And he and he was talking to Europe is like about all the refugees. Oh, you know, everyone needs taking these refugees, need taking these refugees. He doesn't take in any. And how many and did you- <laughs> he has money? Can he adopt some? <laughs> well, the thing is, is that you know, and he's sitting there criticizing the world for this, saying that we everyone needs to do take have to do their part and everything like this. But when Italy moved some of the refugees and like Como, he sold up and said, I can't live next to these people. <laughs> yeah. It's always okay until it's in your backyard. Sort of like you're in Texas. We have a massive open border refugee problem and they don't care about it. But when it goes into their other states or to a like a representative's backyard or whatever, totally different situation. So yeah, they they want it out of sight, out of mind. It's okay to exist. Yeah. Just they just don't want it near them. That's all. Well, they, they did the same thing with um when Trump was in power and Trump sit there and said that, you know, they didn't know what they're going to do with the, the constant flow of um, immigration that was going on. It was and fixed. of course, and of course the whole California was going, no, no, no. And they were like bringing it up, but then, then he moved into California and then they were revolting because it's like, how dare you move these people to our area? You know, the 500,000 so, people have moved out of California in the last year and a half. Yeah. But but what I found very, very interesting about the whole thing is, is that, you know, this this book does emphasize it, but doesn't emphasize it in a crude or horrible way. It's like it's well, always I think, under well, there. I think, Don't you think that was it Ewell, Newell, the, the father, you know, that he was a horrible man and you knew that he was probably the one that did all that to his daughter to begin yeah. with. And, you know, they didn't even and that, you know, it was almost like that the black man was death by cop. He knew you know what I mean? He knew that he didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of ever getting an appeal. And it's almost like he did it on purpose, the escape thing. Well, I don't know if he actually escaped because the thing is, what I find a bit Or they could have said that, he tried to escape because that went on a lot too. Well, the thing is, they say that he tried to escape and everything like that, that. They yelled at him and they shot bullets in the air. But the question is, he was shot with he was shot 17 times. Yeah, I doubt that that was required 17 times. I mean, come on. Yeah, everybody probably unloaded on him, the poor guy. <laughs> he was running sideways. <laughs> no, you don't you, especially because they I mean they they didn't carry none of those nine millimeters. They probably had 30 odd sixes and 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 12 gauge. I mean, they don't carry small guns down here. One thing that I really like is like in one part, um um, Scout was Miss uh, with a neighbor, uh, Miss Maudi, and then the lady was saying that the the in this that occasion the Baptist uh, people, I think, I think it was that type of church. There were people, that, religious people, that were walking around, and every time they were passing um, the, their houses, they, they were saying, "Hey, what? Why you're doing like?" Uh, taking care of your flower, you should be at home inside reading the Bible. And she was saying, Look, it's all, uh, all those people like kind of like, um, kind of think that they're better than others, right? Or telling you what you should be doing or what's right, what's wrong. And reminds me that this lady was like, I don't know, making something beautiful for herself, right? Made me rem- remember, um, the um, the color purple when you know, when um, they were saying about like. That God could be, for example, in in I don't know, in a sunset, let's say, in something be- beautiful that you could see around, but someone comes to tell you what you should be doing because it's right or wrong, 
um, that 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 the way how was described, I really really like like it, and and of course as you said about in that trial, I imagine that everyone knew that that man killed um, did that. But he was them. innocent. They knew yeah. he was innocent. They knew it. Yeah. Don't tell me they knew what that family was like but because everybody is, has everybody that... has their white trash in town. Yeah. He got a lot of it. <laughs> so I mean, you know, you just got to keep your white trash in order to. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, another thing that's that's quite interesting, and um, you know, from being from a small town, I guess I could assimilate to this as well, is the history of a family. Like you know, where I went to school, my dad went to school there, and my nieces and nephews. So if they hated my dad, they hated me, and they, and they would hate my nieces and nephews, or if they liked you, or whatever like that. And and you, you do have the like this, yeah, and um, and you do have that whole. Um, you know, thingy that, you know, the, the story. And then you have your families that splintered off sort of thing. I mean, I guess here, I mean, I guess the people from, and if I was compared to back home, be people like in Smithville and sort of thing. But, um, but it was quite interesting the way that she was able to tell the story. But then, but then again, um, there are people who are like characterized and stuff like this in a very, very interesting way sort of thing. Because we are dealing with someone who's taking their memories and reflecting back to when they're at a certain age. Right. And of course, she would have matured and stuff like this. So we do have a scout that has quite an innocent view on the world. So and I think that kind of works well, who kind of idolizes her brother. She seems to be soaking up everything she can because she's trying to make sense of her existence. And and I mean, just even to the point of, you know, the, the, her role as a young girl you know, in, in this, and then you've got Boo Radley, you've got so many different things going on in this novel. I, I mean, it's the way she ties them all up. I mean, I was pretty impressed the second time around reading this book. I was quite impressed because I always thought that it all took place over like three or four months, but I didn't realize it takes no, place over a couple of years. I was like three or four years and I was, I was texted you. It's like, this is going on for like several summers because What's his What's his name? Didn't come back for one summer. Oh, Gil. 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 And Gil is actually quite a catalyst for a lot of this because he doesn't live there, and so he takes all of this a lot more different than the people who live there, like like you know, um, Scout and her brother, who's he's starting to come into a he's starting to be a young man too, and it's a lot about male female roles in the South too, which is kind of inky. Not so much anymore, but I would have not been considered a nice person, good woman back then. I could not have stuck to those social mores back then. I just couldn't have done it. But there's also a thing is like, she does this thing about you can't judge a book by its cover situation. That's quite interesting because you're reading the book and all of a sudden it's like, um, there's this woman who's ill sort of thing. And basically, you know, the whole situation is like, oh, she's a horrible woman. And of course, they plow down her gardenias for being right. angry with his um, lacrosse stick or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the father, you know, Atticus goes, you know, you're going to read to her, you know, this is your punishment. Yeah. Well, she wasn't a nice person. Well, come to find out, it's not that she wasn't a nice person, it's that she had a stroke and her mind was going. And yeah. then you find out later. So, so when, when she dies, and then Atticus tells him what she was like before this, before the stroke and the and the Alzheimer's and dementia that was setting in. 
And then they kind of like, okay, well, we made this assumption that this is what who she is, and this is the way she thinks, and this is the kind of person she is. And then you kind of find out, but no, it's the mention it on the Alzheimer's or whatever her illness is that's caused her to be like this. But she wasn't like this before. Yeah. And I thought that, and then and then we kind of go into the whole, you know, the whole court case, but also now, now, you know, then the Tom Robinson court case starts, and you know, he gets a, you know, that's when he's, you know, has been accused of rape. And how he doesn't get a fair trial because at the end of the day, you know, now we find out like, oh, here we think that everyone's kind of getting along and everyone in this thing. And then you find out that there's actually this racism that flows through the whole town that there's not that though they don't never talk about it, but yeah. it's there. And you don't realize that until you get to the court sequences and you realize, OK, this is, you know, this is where everyone's true colors come out. So it's kind of, and I thought that was quite interesting because in To Kill a Mockingbird, to the whole thing is about the law and the truth is always in the law. And then what we find out is that not only is the truth in the law, but the truth is also in the citizens that have attended and the jury and the judges and the spectators and all everyone's true colors finally do come through. I like the one like, Sorry that um, Atticus is trying to teach him the well, both 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 um, Jamin and Scout, but I think more Scout to be more. Um, for example, she have an idea and she said, right, and I I felt that he was trying to try to teach him to be more cautious of what 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 you say. You know, just not to think something or make an assumption and then say, rather to try to understand what you, what you're saying, or, or as they say, you know, like walk with their with their shoes and then, and for example, they were making I don't know like assumptions that I don't know there was like kind of a monster living in the next door house that would come at night and and eat squirrels and all that and they don't really know that the the holy truth like ten but someone because. So imagine that when you don't have that information, your mind starts to create stories to fill the gap. Uh, the same well, we kind of get that with Boo Bradley, don't we? We get this whole thing about Boo Bradley and how he's living there and the story that these kids have painted up about this yeah. guy. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and then we get it again when um, Dill, the court case becomes too much for him and he can't believe that people are so ignorant and so full of hate that he goes crying. So Scout has to take him out of the courtroom. So and then and then they meet the guy basically and they think that he's an old drunkard and couldn't find out he's not a drunkard. He's got Coca-Cola in the brown bag and he walks around like a drunkard because that way if he walks around like a drunkard, that way he can lead the life that he wants to lead. And no one's gonna no one's gonna say anything. They might talk about him being the town drunk, but he's not the town drunk because he pretends to be the town drunk so that way he can live the life he wants to you lead. Do you remember somewhere? I, I'm trying to pinpoint it. I can't find it. Where did this fixation start with the Radleys? Well, it's kind of like, you know, these people basically, you know, for me, I think it starts with, you know, here's these people living behind them. They don't, you know, they hear about who Boo Radley is or Arthur Radley's his real name, but they never see this person. This person's, okay. all, you know, always, you know, his drapes are always closed and stuff like this. He never comes yeah. out. 
but the same, but the same thing. It's like my house. I'm sure I'm somebody's Boo Radley on the street somewhere. (laughs) I don't. I'm so reclusive lately. But the thing is, is that they're. I mean, they they built out this story and this fiction and this urban legend about him, but not realizing that Boo Radley is actually saving them every step of the way. For the simple fact is, like you know, he's the one that's putting the stuff in the tree trunk. Yeah. You know, after after they were caught sneaking, you know, looking at him and the kids are, you know, you know they're, they're trying to put it together. Not quite. Then we have this thing where Jem, you know, crawls underneath his fence and he has to get out of his trousers sort of thing. And then he pushes his sister back. Yeah, through. that was sad. That was. Yeah. Yep. And I, then. But it, but again, we got yeah. we got Boo, but we got Boo Bradley who sits there and cleans his trousers and folds them. Fold them on. Yeah. Them. And, and and then again at the very end he saves Jem and Scout's life. Yeah. Again, so so it's almost like so they have this idea who he is and that, and that, and I thought that was quite wonderful is that after you know the murder attempt bomb Jem and you know and Scout and that they find and then he and the thing is we as the reader has this idea who Boo Radley is and kind of find out he's an albino. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's why he's Boo Radley because he's as white ghost. as a ghost, sort of thing. And I thought, and I thought that was really good. And then when like, Scout looks at him and then smiles and goes, he goes, Oh, do you know who saved you? And he, she smiles and points at him. She goes, Hello, Boo, sort of thing. And that's kind of like, you know, and that's kind of like the maturity of her and the whole realization that. You know, and the whole book's about you really can't judge a book by a cover. And that's what I get from it, basically. Yeah, everyone's not I, I, exactly everyone's not exactly who they say they are. They pretend to be something until or, you scratch me to the surface and they end up being someone or else. Or like the 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 family of what's her name? Ella May or whatever her name was, the the, the little I, I don't know whether to feel empathy or just sheer vitriol for that for that girl. She knows she's wrong, but the father's probably the one doing the bad stuff. So, I mean, not everything is don't judge a book by its cover because yeah. some of it's pretty right there in front of you. I mean, it's Oh yeah, I mean, right that, well, the whole thing, but that's about family secrets and keeping the family secret a lot. Right. I mean, basically, I mean, it does hint around that basically the father is basically having sex with his daughter. He's got quite a few children, doesn't he? In the book? Yeah, but you don't, I mean, but the thing is, the mother dies, so you're never right. maybe uh, maybe his oldest daughter's providing you know, children crime, as well. The, re- the only crime that Tom Robinson pre- really made did in this book was have compassion for a white woman. He should have just stayed. Yeah, well, they they clear of that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away for she was trouble. I mean, he was probably yeah. too innocent and kind to realize that she was trouble, but she well, always, you know. But well, to be honest, I don't. I don't even. Th- I don't even think that they charge Tom Robinson for. I don't think anyone believed the story anyway. Yeah. With the simple gall of him to sit there and talk to her because she's white. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because that that really was the reality back in the day in the South. It's not so. It's not so anymore. But man, but those I, people that you see, the older people, 70, 80, 90 year olds, they really went through it. Mm-hmm. you know in every well, sense of the word i mean another thing i found very interesting is is that after the court case and you know you find that tom robinson has been shot 17 times for an apparent escape yeah. um 
and then you find out, you know, how his wife hugs it. And then you got Lee Dinkins hires, you know, and then Tom Ewell is going after the wife. And then he goes, listen, you keep this up and I'll get you arrested sort of thing. So that kind of ends that. And then we get to the school mm-hmm. and they're talking about current affairs. And one of the kids talks about Hitler's rising and about what he's doing to the Jews and stuff like right. this. And at this time, the book is now, we're now in 1936. So things are and, moving right along. I think we've even gone through Crystal Knock and maybe the night of the long, you know, the long nights. All well, that. what I found interesting is the America and England didn't really get involved into the war until the 1941-42. Well, we were isolationists back then because the president well, the, the did thing not is, want nothing to do with it. But, but the funny thing about it is what this book kind of portrays, and I don't know how much um, literary license is, is that America and Europe and everywhere else were acting ignorant about what was going over there. But she's saying like in 1936 that there's this newspaper article of what they're doing to the Jews. And it, and every and to be honest, if you look at American, if you look at history books, apparently we didn't know anything until we until we went over apparently there. Apparently we haven't learned from those mistakes either because we have concentration camps in China that nobody wants to speak about. So we have well, not, I mean, probably forgotten but the thing is, is what, what you realize is that, and then she goes, okay, they're, because they're a dictatorship and they're, therefore they're not hated. And we're talking about, and the teacher talks about democracy, how everyone's created equal. And it's quite funny how Harper Lee was able to balance these two things because in a way, you know, basically what Hitler was doing, the Jews isn't no different than the racism that's going on in America at this time, though they're calling themselves democratic and the idea of every man created yeah, equal. Just, just make sure <laughs> but another thing she raises isn't here is which i think what we're having a problem with now and this has to deal with you know gays and other minorities and stuff like this is that when she brings up what democracy means democracy means having the same rights as everyone else it does not mean special rights and that was quite interesting to read this through a 2023 lens now and like, okay, because now, now we're dealing with a lot of groups saying that they want special rights. You know, you know, I want special rights because I might be a bit larger than I should be, or I want special rights because I might be a bit thinner. I want special rights because I, you know, I want a special pronoun. And I found that really interesting that democracy is not about having special rights, it's about having the same rights. And I thought that was really interesting that she raises that in the book. So that's what I'm saying. Sometimes well, people get something across mm-hmm. in the most mundane ways without trying to piss off the entire population. And I, I think that's why books like this are so important because it really does get the point across. Yeah. I mean, she covers, she, I mean, and I think that we can learn a lesson from wokeness from this book as well. How you can sit there and still cover the same thing about wokeness without actually pushing your finger at someone, yelling at someone, and not portraying it where you're pushing it into someone's face. Because this book does it. You sit there and you read the book, and the thing is, by the time you finish the book... Yeah, I, you... I don't even call... Well, wokeness it has a problem. The problem with wokeness is, is it lacks common sense. What I'm, but what I'm, but what I'm like saying this, is, it just presents it factually. This is what happened. Well, that's what I say. This, I mean, this book is very, very woke if you think about it to a certain extent. It that is, but it, it's gives, good. it gives you all these messages. But the thing is, 
the messages that are in there. So you're reading the book and you're interested in the characters, but the characters are not walking around saying, I'm woke. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, and that's why I think that's what we've lost somewhere along the way is that I think, and I find that I think that media thinks that we're stupid, that they if they do. sit there and they just tell a do. story of people and how people react and how people are towards each other, I think you can get the same message across. And I think Harper Lee does a fantastic job. She did that. a fantastic job at it with mm -hmm. common sense and a good story to, to, to narrate, you know, the things that happen at this time, because really there's no way between, you know, after, after civil war, you know, the reconstruction period all the way in, you can't say that things were fair and they weren't, they truly were not fair. And, you know, there's, there's, you can be woke. I mean, some of the concepts of woke are not offensive or bad. It's the people who put these ideas out there that are offensive ones. The concept in and of itself of everybody being treated fairly and like human beings, no one has a problem with that. Right. I don't know anybody that has a problem with that. But to bring out what the problem we have with this now is you've got cancel culture, you have violence, you have people... De deliberately keeping people at each other's throats, at least here, I don't know about over there, and do not want anybody to heal. And, you know, and this book is incredible, you know, when it comes to showing that without saying, you, you're white, you should be ashamed. It doesn't do that. And I like the fact that it gets the point across without pissing off another population and just bringing the facts to into clear view. And that's I what think it does. We, I do think that we live in a time in order to lift someone up, we always have to push someone else down. And that's the problem. Because as soon as you're pushing, you know, whatever downwards to lift yourself up, right then and then the people that are up at the top and the people that that you should that could be there for you, you've actually demoralized them and pushed them down to make them think that they've done something wrong. And the thing is, we are part of society but society is not us that's right that's right you know and and we and i'm sorry but we can't be and we can't pay the sins of our father we can learn from the sins of our fathers but we can't pay for the sins of our fathers exactly thank you that's true i mean yeah, a I lot know. of people are we did there's so many people that it's so far removed like my grandson he wouldn't even comprehend slavery unless it's in a history book and you explain it to him or saw a well, you know, verse documentary or something like that about it. But I mean, that, you know, and that's another thing that upsets me about, about what's going on these days because you've got this, what is it? Uh, was it the, whatever they're trying to teach them, indoctrinate them in school. These kids don't know color unless you put color in front of them. They play with everybody. They do not see race. They do not see well, religion. But when you've got people trying to put that CRT crap, you know, stuff like well, that. Well, it's, it's kind of Period. funny because it's, the thing is, is that Roger Hammerstein and the King and I come out with a song is that you have to teach your children to hate. I don't agree with that. And no, but what, no, what he's saying is, is that basically hate, children hate because of what they're taught. It's, he's not saying yeah. that you have to teach this, but it's, it's, it's kind of a play on words that children are taught to hate sort of thing, because at the end of the day, everyone's kind of created equal, but it's, but it's what normally what the family might perpetrate. But then again, you know, it's up to us to learn from our parents' mistakes and do better than what our parents have done. Our parents are human. They have frailties. Our families do. And, that, and we're going to, you know, unfortunately, 
it's, you know, we all got our faults and stuff like this. And if I had children, I would hope that they would learn from my mistakes so they would be better than I was. But at the same time, I don't think that pointing your finger at someone and going, you're this, you're that, you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong. As soon as you start doing that, you shut off the minds of who you're talking to, where if you have an open conversation, chances are you might be able to come to a meeting of the minds or that you you understand where someone else is coming from. You might not agree with it, but at least you have an understanding. It's just so sad that people like media and people in positions of power do whatever they can to keep everybody hating each other. It well, is the, yeah, but the, pro, the, the how I see it is that you, it's important that you have people hating each other because at the end of the day, I mean, the, 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 if you look at people, most of the people who hate each other tend to be poor people or lower classes, the middle to lower classes, lower middle to lower classes. And the thing is, if you keep them fighting and don't keep them so that way their eye is not on the ball around them. The problem basically is, is that they actually stuck together and realized what the social injustice is, is to them personally because their social economic standing and they stuck together. The problem basically would be that they, they're now the majority and they would have the power. Well, either way, but, but, everybody's just got to remember that the, the World Economic well, wants us all the, to eat cricket paste and they don't care what color we well, are. Well, I mean, that, that's, that, I mean that's, that's all kind of beside the point. The whole, the whole thing basically is that we're built on a social economical structure yeah. anyway. And the problem basically is, is if you use racism or homophobia and sort of thing and keep, and keep those people hating each other here... Yeah. Because as soon as you keep them hating each other, it's like they'll keep hating each other and they'll think that everyone's got it better than everyone else and all the other, like the middle child syndrome that goes on. And the problem basically is, is that if they just shut up and look at everything and realize that basically we're all all screwed, let's stick together. They could overthrow all, they could overthrow the media. They could overthrow the government. They could could overthrow the rich people. They could overthrow corporations. Yeah, but the problem is, is that it's easy. But if you sit there and just make them fight amongst themselves, they're not yeah. going to be able to. They're not going to join together. Exactly. And and that's and that you know and, and that's what you know whether you know it's Black Lives Matter or a trans transphobia matter or gay or LGBT and all the other stuff. Well, and, you know, at the, at the beginning of the book, she um, um, Scout is saying when it started the story that the. They were like I think in 1930s, so there was no, there was the economic crisis. Yeah. So there was no money, nowhere to go, nowhere to spend, even to um, the money to do anything. Great depression imagine was that, pretty, pretty. It was pretty bad. Imagine there is an economic situation, and we are all more or less in the same situation. But no, because then she's telling you that, for example. Scout asked articles, are, are we poor? And then he said, well, yes, we are all are poor, but these people are, are has less than us. So the, the, the man that was paying with um, chestnuts. And yeah, while you were talking, reminds me that when I was studying the university history, they were, they were, they were explaining that after the first uh, world war, a lot of countries were like destroyed with the economic, the economic right. was, fucked up, right? With the crisis of the, the 1930, the Wall Street. And then they, dis- they kind of like, not discover, but it's like the only way to get out from there is to go into another world because they will need 
produce things to get to, you know, like guns. Well, I mean, that's how we got out of the depression was World War II, got the whole world right. out of depression. Um, and the and the thing is that, you know, the, the thing is that it worked at that time because each country was producing their own weapons and yeah. producing their own casings and bullets and everything like that. And the thing is, the problem basically is, is now, if you ever notice, when we ever go into an economic downturn, all of a sudden now we have political disputes. But the problem basically as what in today's society is that we don't, none of, most of the countries that we live in don't actually produce anything anymore. You know, like England trades money and America doesn't really produce everything because we send everything to China. So whenever there's yeah, a... Well, that, that, so whenever, that doesn't even get me well, going. <laughs> well, no, but the thing is, whenever there's a dispute or anything like that, unfortunately that's where all the industry is now so anyone that gets rich or china and the on thailand and places like that because that's, well, that's where why, everything gets that's why that's Steve everything Joe got now. us in the ukraine money 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 but it's the thing is but, but but the problem basically is, is that you know whether it was the crisis in the middle east or whether it was the crisis in you know going back after russia or whatever the problem is is that that has never gotten america or the uk out of anything because by that time we've now all our stuff that's made is made out of another country so that means now we owe this that's other country change. money to that's pay that change. and that's the problem so therefore it doesn't get us out of the recession it doesn't get us out of the thing like but like world war ii got us out of the depression did and, you notice though in the book though how like like calpurnia the black the black housekeeper nanny that the kids loved her more as a mother figure than, than anybody else seriously because and a lot of people were trying you know they didn't understand that but Calpurnia seemed to have two different personalities, one that she had around her people and one that she had around her employers. And I just thought it was funny how she adjusted to both, but she was very good to those kids. And those kids really didn't see, well, they saw, they understood what was going on as far as racial, you know, and civility and things like that. But they did sit up there with the black people. The but top. the thing is, you but you have to do that with different classes of people because what happens is, is I mean, she you know she does it herself. But she was the better woman, though. She actually was a mother. Yeah, baby. but I'm sitting there saying that she has to change the way she talks to her own community because otherwise, oh, yeah. I think she's putting on airs and graces. So they're yeah. judging her as well. So everyone's yeah. judging everyone else. Well, it's sort of like the, so. the 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 kids that were black and white. They didn't have a home with the blacks, and they didn't have a home with the whites. You know, mm. I mean, because they were talking about children who had, you know, black, black blood from way back. That's mm. a stupid mm. way to put it, I know. But they had Negro blood at some point and they still held it against them. And if they were white, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, you just... but, but I, th I, I think it's like and I tell you this because uh, it's from close to me. It's like happens, like you know, like my stepmother used to have a shop and one of the ladies that used to work for her. She she was from Ashanti town, right? She, she uh, I think well, her parents they were poor. Her her parents, her mom was cleaning houses, and her uh, dad was a gardener. And she she studied. She went to school. She finished secondary school. And once she was telling us that her auntie was living with with in the Ashanti town, and she was making clothes, and she was getting really good at that. So in the end, she got fed up of living there, like in bad condition, with no water, with, with, and so she left. 
So when she left and she went to, she got her own little house somewhere else. Then the family didn't want to talk to her because she was saying, oh, okay, you have left and you have moved and like kind of like you are one of them, the people that, you know, that don't live with us. So it, I think in a way happens like both ways, like people will look the some people that doesn't live in the Shanti town will look at people like say thinking that they're like don't know the worst in the society rather down but and then when someone that lives in the Shanti town and want to leave because they want to progress they're seen from the, the the people that couldn't do it or don't want to do it like in a bad way too like I kind of like oh now you feel superior than us and then you're leaving when is that was not never the case I mean I get that when I go home it's like when I go back home, it's like I'm the prodigal son and the angels are singing and the clouds have opened up. It's like, oh, so I think 24 hours. I'm the bastard who left who thinks he's better than everyone else. Yeah. The thing is, is, I'm not that at all, but you know, but that's, that's how people look at it. But the thing is, the trouble with the human race anyway, that there's always going to be a problem with the human race. And I've always said that if we were all blonde hair and blue dyed and looked exactly the same, we find that one person whose eyelashes curl slightly different from everyone's else, and that's who we'd be picking on. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I think our pro I, the problem with the human race, I think, is ego at the end of the day. Because we're, we got, you know, we have an ego, and that ego, unfortunately, makes us think that we should be better than someone else for whatever that reason may be. And we find reasons to think that we are superior to those or some, someone around us. You know, they're either too rich, too fat, too ugly, too poor, too whatever it may be, you know, so that way we can just feel better about ourselves. And that's the problem with society, because if, you know, if everyone stopped trying to make themselves better than everyone else around them and just think of everyone just as, as people. Yeah. And that's why and that's why, like in today's society, I have difficulty with labels. I don't care what your pronouns are. I don't care what you identify as. I don't care any of that crap. At the end of the day, you can call yourself all these things that you want to, but if you're acting like an asshole, you're still going to be an asshole. Yeah. You know, and, the, and the thing is, is like, and personally, I think it's labels that separate us. Yeah. You know, who, who cares about, you know, religion? You can be whatever religion you like whether you believe or don't believe or whatever you want to be, the question is you have a right to practice anything. If, if, it, if it fits, if the shoe fits, wear it. But doesn't mean that anyone's right, which one's the good one. You're not going to know until you're dead anyway. And then at that point, it doesn't matter. You know, race It's like, okay, well, what does it matter about race anyway? If you're, you know, if you're an asshole white person or you're an asshole Chinese person or so on and so forth, you're just an asshole. So it doesn't matter. And the thing is, is like, Yes, we all generalize. The question is, there's nothing wrong with generalizing. The question is, is as long as you don't generalize on individuals, you know, because I mean, you know, people look at me like an American sort of thing. And because, you know, oh, he's this, this and this. Well, that's your conception, what right. I am. But, but at the end of the day, none of, even what being male or, or your pronoun or sexuality, the thing is, all of those things are not who you are. You're just just facets of a bunch of small things that makes a complete picture of you. We're all like Surratt's pictures, you know, where they're just a bunch of dots. And up close, we're all these little dots. But when you step away, that's when you see the full picture. And I think that's what's wrong with society is that basically we are not just one thing, you know, and we shouldn't let this one thing in our life, whether 
Labels are so important to the, to the radical crazies. I don't but know they shouldn't be important because that's what that's what accepts us. If we just think of like we're just the human race and you are who you are. Just I a can't meat suit going through space. Well, I can't tell you what it's like to be male. I can't tell you what it's like to be American. I can't tell you what it's like to be homosexual. I can't tell you what it's like to be Native American. I can't tell you any of those things. All I can tell you is what it's like to be me. And, you know, and I'm sure that David and Leandro got a different impersonation of what it's like to be male or what what it's like to be them or, you know, Italian or whatever. Um, You know, and we all have different experiences, even though we might be grouped in these different subgroups. But none of none of us, none of these things define me. None of these things ever define me. So don't you well, think that that's oh sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no you were talking about labels, and it's, it's it's funny because I think that in, in the book, and it's more because the story happens in a little in a, in a town where people in a town tend to that like, you have, I don't know, the drunk person, the monster, because it's someone that, that lives in the house and never goes out because maybe it's okay in the house. So I imagine that by the end, when they discover who Boo Radley was and they see it, they could see, okay, all the labels that we, what, that we put come down because now we know how is the person and what the person uh did you guys figure that why they call their dad Atticus Mm. did you figure it out Leandro why they call their dad Atticus instead of dad oh that was interesting Uh, sign of respect I don't know I I guess I I was trying to remember I I, I read it and it just kind of well I have a theory and probably you will like that once I was doing um uh, it's too hard to, to explain right now, but it kind of like a, a session with someone. And then he said, I was t- talking about my dad, right? And how my dad was and, and all that. And then he said, well, just try to move, stop calling your dad dad. Right. And for a second, call your dad by his name. Oh, and all the and all the pressure that, that you put on him because he's your dad and your dad should be this and that and do this and should love you this way and should be doing that will come down. And what you see will be an, a, a person because that was he was and he never stopped being. But you from the moment you are born, for you, that person is your dad. So it's like a kind of like a weight that you hang on the person. Right. But, said, but you forget probably that before you, it was just a man with with dreams, with mistakes, with with good things, Hopes, with bad ambitions, things. all of it. Yeah, but that's a good point. we as we as a, a, a well, <clears throat> son daughters, we have so many expectations that you load it into someone, and then you sort of say, "Ah, oh, that's okay. That's no. That's no. That's no. That's okay." And then it's like, and it was really interesting, you know, because it, when you take the title, you just see the person. The label in itself, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, um, I mean, I always say that about families and parents anyway, is that we have this idolized version of what our parents are because we forget that they're humans and that they're people and that they make mistakes, they make their and they make they might, you know. They might, the mistakes that they made might have a lot to do with what are, what they went through their childhood. So it doesn't excuse some of the stuff that some parents do. No, but we do forget we do forget that they're people. 
and that they're just like us and we're just in our human mm-hmm. and all the other stuff that comes with it. And, you know, as I said before, that doesn't excuse it, but if you can learn to understand it, you can learn to move past that. And I guess Atticus, I guess if you, you know, if you look at Atticus as a character anyway, he's very moralistic and he's the moral center of the book anyway. And, but at that same time, his ego does get in the way for the simple fact that, you know, when you see the end of the book and we see that because when you become truth, right and forthright, and even though everything he's doing is for the right and for the good of society, but at the same time, he's even willing to sell out his own son for that ego where the, the cop basically is like, wait just a minute. He fell on his knife. You're, you can't do this out of kiss. You can't do this. You can't offer your son as a sacrificial lamb here because he's so forthright that sometimes he actually gets lost in that as well, Atticus does. Right. Which I thought that was quite interesting as well. And finally it's like, oh, Can you're you right. Can you be too honest and too forthcoming and good? Is there, is, or do you have to mix it up a little bit and, and be an asshole sometimes to keep your point across though? I mean, Well, I think sometimes you have to step out of the scenario to become, to make an, um, a successful, to have to come to an understanding and reasoning of a scenario. You know, sometimes it's best to before you have a point of view or something that you're pushing, whatever scenario you're trying to push through, that sometimes before you do that, maybe sometimes to step away and look at the whole thing before you go back, step back into it, you know. Right. And I think think that's what you were going to say. What are you saying, David? Oh, me? Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, So... I, I agree on the thing when you were talking about the equalities and kind of like sometimes it's, I can see even these days that not in all instances, but sometimes it's taken a little bit to the extreme. So you can see this creation of labels, which I can understand that somehow in the process of growth, labels are needed as a tool to understand things. Yeah, that people, I get. People become obsessed and they suddenly identify to a label to the point that no, nothing else matters. All their humanity's gone. It's all about the label. Yeah, it's all, it that's becomes, that, yeah. it kind of, it creates like separations and sort of like, like a sort of ghetto of it's it's definitely not because it's kind of like the individual matter more than anybody else obviously everybody matters but it's not only about the individual it's about the you know the community and the society and everything you gotta be careful not the broad context yeah yeah well you know last last year i was with some friends to pride right no, not last year, the year before. And there's one of one one of the friends of my friend that is really like really like strong in what he thinks and blah blah blah. So I asked him what was the meaning of the colors in the gay flag. Well, now it's the LGBTQRSTU. Well, that <laughs> and, and then he was explaining to me which yeah, color people. was. But then I asked him, okay. I thought to I thought at that moment two things. First, for me, is a way of label. If you have a color, you are labeled something with a color. Right. That is that the people is against. And then I thought, okay, hold on. Why they have to make a, a each color has to represent something, right? And mm-hmm. what about now in these days that then people said, okay, identify as a table 
But with a table that have five legs. So if you have if the table has a four or three legs, no, that's not the table. So then I thought, well, then you start to part that in more sections. I thought, why don't you have one flag that represent whatever you want to be, and then the story and every everything represent with one thing that is for all of us the same. Like just like a red flag that kind of brings. Yeah, well, I don't know. All or black. Same. Put all those colors together, and it turns black. It's black. Yeah. a black flag. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But even like, but even like in groups anyway, we sub we subdivide our, our groups anyway. I mean, gay, all these subdivisions, even when you get to like religion, you know, like I'm not the Christian religion. I mean, there's so many subgroups in the Christian religion. It's not even funny. It, so, Christianity is, is, you want to talk broad stroke, Christianity. Okay. Which kind of Christian are you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're all fighting amongst themselves, even though they're fighting yeah, they're the always Jesus. fighting amongst themselves. But, you know, and that's and that's the kind of thing that you kind of have to look at. You kind of have to. Yes, I guess it's important to. I mean, the reason why we have labels anyways is that they're in tick boxes. So therefore, it's like, oh, look at me. I'm such a good person because, of the, you know, I've seen, you know, I work here and the employer is such a good, such an open and diverse employer because they tick these boxes. Um, but the question is, is but then again, we should never broad stroke things either, because, I mean, if you look at. Yes, there are bad police officers out there. There's bad people in every fucking profession around the world. There are bad doctors and nurses and machine foremen and so exactly. on. But because there's a bad policeman doesn't mean that all policemen are bad. So that doesn't mean that mm. one bad apple. If a black person hold, mugs you in the street, that doesn't mean that all black people are going to mug you in the street. That means that asshole, that individual is the one that did that. Yeah. And I think and, and, and the funny thing us. about it for these people who are asking about acceptance and all this other stuff, at the same time they're asking for this, they're broad stroking other things in the world. It's like, you know, the guy who, you know, Floyd sort of thing and held him down. Should he held him down? No, sort of thing. That guy, you know, that guy probably is who he is, and the you know that he's a bad cop. Does that mean the other, you know, the other fifty cops that are working in the same station are like him? No, it doesn't. It means no. he's a bad cop, plain and simple, for um, whatever reasons. Vicky, what, what, why, why, Jim uh, and Scout were calling him articles? You never. You, I want to know why they call him Atticus. Oh, yeah. Well, I was trying to, I remember reading why they were calling him Atticus. There was a reason for that. Now I can't find it. And I just thought maybe one of you guys had it. Maybe. No, well, I, like, I just I like kind of figured that they called him Atticus because therefore, but then again, they, they, you never hear, it's kind of hard because there's no mother, is there? No. Mm. They, did they say what happened to the mother? I've read this book a couple times now. She, di she died. I did know that. But I think it was disease or... Yeah. Scout, 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 Scout was born. I think Scout was a couple years, so she doesn't remember her mother, but Jen has a slight memory of his mother. Well, you know, sorry to share this with you, but when I, when I read uh, twice this book, but I forgot the, the, the second time that I have read it the first time, um... I feel identified because my mom died when I was two and, and <coughs> mom died when she was two, too. And on the feeling that, like, for me, I don't remember my mom. I mean, they showed me a picture and I said, like, okay, this is mom, but it could show me any picture. But and Oh, I found it. Okay. Those questions, I mean, I have the question to always ask my, my sister if she could remember my mom because she's three years older than me and she was five. 
And the same feeling that it was explained so great. Um, like I was like, you think what the person, how the person should be feeling that if it has some memories, right? But you would like to know more about your mom, but at the same time, you don't want to ask because you know you are like pressing in that sad part for that person. God, I don't know. I'd want to know everything I could possibly find out. Yeah, no, well, me too. So in a in a moment, I have said to my sister, "Look, sorry, I need to ask you this. Can you share? Can you tell me all what you remember from mom? Because I can't. But I don't. Uh -huh. And then, and she was trying, but it, I know that I saw her in her face that the same that scowl that you see that the person got like kind of lost because it's like go back to that moment what can you remember and then feeling that why i cannot remember more of mom right like right so it was it, i mean but the way for me that it has been written was really good um, i think i mean the thing is i guess you have to also remember that when it comes to people who have parted that you don't have a memory of yeah. When people share their memories and what, what you have is you have facts and then you'll have that person's impression of who that person mm -hmm. was. Right. Um, and, and that will be either, um, that will be a high or low depending on what the relationship was with that person. Yeah. Um, but I also, but I find that when it comes to memories of people who have passed, um, you know, for me, I find that it's the emotion that stays with me or the yes. way that person makes you feel. Right. But, but it's not the exact facts of who that person was. It's the. Yeah. 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 How that person there, felt you. with that person. Yeah. They did so say with this emotion. They did say Atticus is a wise man committed to justice and equality. And his parenting style is based on fostering these virtues in his children. He even encourages Jem and Scout to call him Atticus so that they can interact on terms as equal as possible. So he's not trying to be the all-encompassing Lord God dad. He's trying to be a regular dude, I guess, is what I'm getting the picture I'm getting. I just can't imagine calling my father Jack or my mom. <laughs> you know, I just, just can't well, do it. I was I was googling the meaning I was googling the meaning of the name and said as a name it had connotation of literary sophistication and culture. Really? Yeah. And you know what? Even to kill a mockingbird, I understand the whole point that the, the mockingbirds are just show that goodness and spiritual whatever. I kind of find it funny that she picked a mockingbird. Because, I mean, if I could shoot every one of them little bastards that get into my tomatoes every June, I would. <laughs> but you're not allowed to. It's the Texas State bird. <laughs> but they are little turds, okay? Mockingbirds are not always nice. <laughs> Just saying. Well, you, you said that something really interesting. You said you couldn't imagine yourself calling your mom by her name. Not unless I was being disrespectful. Now, my kids have called me Vicky before. And I mean, I gave them a look and you better run out the front door. We don't Why? Because they're doing it to be ass little assholes. They do that to be disrespectful. <laughs> so when kids are doing it now, and I've seen a lot of it, one of my kids did it to me. They weren't happy about certain things, divorces and whatnot, started calling me by my first name. And started calling their dad by their first names like no 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 that dog is not gonna hunt <laughs> don't do that here in my home you can call well, me you know, as long as i don't hear it <laughs> i i call 
when I went to Argentina for Christmas, I think it was back then, I called my aunt by her name. I call my aunts by their name sometimes. Now. Yeah, and then she said, what you're calling me by my, my name? I said, well, how do you want me to call you? Is that your name? I said, no, you should call me auntie. I said, yeah, but that's your I name. I call him auntie. And, and he's really strange, you know, how they I, I call my aunts and I call my aunts and uncles by their name. I've never called them auntie or uncle. I don't feel so. right. I think it's kind of disrespectful, especially if they're elder, elder than me. They're older by the a lot because they were here when I was born. But I still think there's a respect thing there. I mean, just call me weird. Is there? Yeah, I do. Oh, because I say, yeah, my father, get... Jack or John. Oh, yeah, your parents are always like mom but and dad. My, but, my, but now, but see, I still have older uncles that I always call. Well, call hold on, hold on, Vicky. This is your homework. Next time no. you see your mom, <laughs> no, next time you see your mom, call her, say. Oh, I've kidded around with her. I'll call her, Lillian, and go, hey, what's call, going on, Lillian? Call, call really her by, no, but call her by her name and see, see her reaction. If she opened the eyes, like, what? <laughs> no, she knows I'm kidding around. I would never do that unless I was kidding around. But I do notice that kids, a lot of them now, use that as a sign of disrespect. It is not like it's portrayed in this book. And I've seen it rampantly done. Yeah, at least well, yeah, I think it's I think it whenever you call your parents by their first name is always kind of out of disrespect anyway, in a normal family setting. Like, I've never okay, I've, I've never I've never you know? I've never seen any of my friends or people that I've come across to in my life ever call their parents by their first name. But then you know, Tyler, Tyler was going down that road and I was gonna slap the living shit out of him. I, I used to call my dad dad, but now that I think is don't you think it's really really tricky you know like how in your mind you're said that that call that person by a name that is not their name is give like kind of like oh superior well i mean to be honest um is that another label? when, I, oh, like when I was getting on with my mother i called her mom when she irritated me i called her mother mother like if she gets irritated with me, she goes, "Mother, let me finish my sentence," you know. Mm -hmm. And then you know, yeah. it's just like, oh, "Okay, yeah, I gotta go." But the, this is generally like, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Uh, it works on the same frames, like when your parents call you by your first, middle, and last name. <laughs> it's the same kind of equality to it. So. Or if they're calling you by your middle name and your first name, usually that means deep shit. Yeah, that means you're in trouble. So. <laughs> or if they call you all three, first, middle, and last, you're serious. Uh, if, if my mother said Keith ever be on Shaco, get in the house, I just knew her. I'm not, <laughs> not going to be escaping. escaping that house for the next two weeks. I'm going to be on restriction. Don't you think this is really, really, really strange? Because at the end of the day, a name is just a label that someone put it to is. you. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. kind of like you can get it. Uh, it's just how the person pronounces it if it is annoys you or not. Yeah. It's really it's really crazy. The problem is is when your parents name you, they don't have much of an imagination. Like I work with someone whose name is James Jameson. <laughs> well. It's like, oh, we can't even bother to think of a separate a first name for you. So we'll just call you by we'll call you by your surname. Can you imagine having Frank Zappa for her father? He named one kid Moon Unit and the other one Dweezel. I well, mean, come on. Yeah, but well, at, least, at least he gave her some thought. Yeah, I, did, I <laughs> yes. didn't know that until I read a roll doll. Apparently in UK, there's no law. So you can call your son 
any name you, you want. For example, if you, call, if you want to call your son Brick, you can call it Brick. Rather in Argentina, you can choose certain words as a name. Like for example, you can call your son Dog. In right? Argentina, really quick, because I know my Puerto Rican friends, um, do you use the mother's name or is it the father's name? Do you guys use mom's name first? Oh, you're talking about but you're talking about the surname like surname, de la Fra yeah. like but like in Spain um, de la Fonte. Yeah. Yeah, well, they used to probably these days is something like, for example, here in UK, when a when a lady is, is married, it changes the last name to the husband last right, name. Right. In Argentina, no, you get married. And then they call you, you know, a Mrs. Blah blah blah. But legally, you don't Still change keep your name. You can't like change that. your name. Documents are documents. You can't change the name there unless I you like want to change your name. But What's wrong with and, us in, in, the and in Spain, in Spain, they just in Spain they just added on, and then the children become yes. the child's name of the mother's name, father's right. name. Yeah, well, in Argentina, it's father and then mother. Oh, ma yeah, father. Even I mother. like that. I don't see why everything has to be so uneven here in the united states and we are everything's got to be well a lot of people get married now and do and they double barrel the names don't they so right so the now child's gonna have the double the double parent sort but of even thing. up until 20 years ago i didn't know i could keep my maiden name for free well you shouldn't divorced. because if you get married to a man that man owns you and that's the way it should be and you could just go fuck right off <laughs> <laughs> well you are so lucky there's an ocean between us <laughs> well, you know, I used to have a friend that, that he got married here in UK, he's, he's English, and, you know, they always, always, the, the, the woman, you know, lose her last name and get... Right, right. Uh, he did it the other way around. He got the, her last name because he didn't want that she carries uh, his dad's last name because yeah. he didn't have any good relationship, I think. And it was just really interesting, you know, that you adopt... The other way around, the the, right. the, the way it goes. Oh. I think if you're going to adopt a name, I think it's important that you adopt a name that sounds better than yours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if your name is like, you know, Mister Shitabrick, <laughs> you know, you might. Well, you know, if you're if you're marrying, I don't know, Mrs. Um, Butis, you might want to <laughs> change your name from Shitabit Shitabrick to Butis or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Great to kill a mockingbird, starting with you, Vicky. How many stars do you give to kill a mockingbird? Oh, definitely five. It's it won a Pulitzer Prize. It's one of the one of the best books ever written. At least for I mean, it's a piece of Americana. Gets the point across without a you know any offense. Well, I didn't find it offensive at all, and I find everything offensive. <laughs> so it's a good book. I think it still should be required reading. What about yourself, Leandro? How many stars do you give it? Oh, this is a tough question, you know, because first I was thinking, okay, five out of five, but then I remember that the color purple made me cry. So in that thing is okay. This 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 book. Didn't know the color purple made you cry. Yeah, 
well, I know you know. You're such a sensitive guy. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> That's but, why we but, love you. Uh, the same with movies. You know, for me, if, if a movie for me make me cry, okay, or the book is okay, it means that move touch something on you and i think that's how I, for me how a book good a yeah book good, is good, good so i would it. say four out of five and what about yourself david how many stars would you give it <laughs> that's a tricky question since i've not read the book uh, <laughs> um, i did i did are you gonna do like that thing with the like you know the TV show The Apprentice when it like you yeah, find you're it. Fine. <laughs> um, I did a little bit of research on the on the book. I did not manage to read it for different reasons. How would you rate? Um, how about how about if we go? How would you rate the themes and stuff in the book? The themes are extremely educational. I'm in love with the themes and, and the education behind it. It's very an educational book, uh, at least from the analysis I've done. I would rate it a five, one hundred percent. I need to get back into the reading, reading it again. Quick read, um, I thought. Yeah, but again, like like Leandro said, the color purple had that little extra though. I love the color purple much more. I don't know. At least talking about the movie, definitely. Color purple was good. I'm surprised. I, I that's because you're. That's because you don't like white people. Uh <laughs> Myself, I'm going to give this a solid five stars. Um, I think this means more as an adult than it did as a child. Yeah. And re-going and re into this, I have to sit there and say that I really, really, really enjoyed this book. And I actually I was really too. enthralled with it. And I, and I did and it, I did feel something when the, when the jury comes in and gives the verdict. It and did. The it was way very effect, disappointing. It, but it, it affect, I found that really sad. And it actually, I was actually affected by it. I felt emotionally moved by it. It's like, okay, well, I wasn't expecting this sort of thing. Well, because so. you actually read the book and you read that there's no way that, that that man could have done what he was accused of, especially with a bad arm. So it's like, come on, stop the bleeding here. Somebody saved this guy. And you know, it's common sense, but you know that the people in the book are not going to display common sense or decency, so. Are you looking for a graphic design that will take you to the next level or something that shows confidence within a growing market to help you stand out amongst the crowd? Amazing Designs gives consistent and on-brand designs whether you are looking for something conservative or you want to let your imagination soar. They bring professionalism to a high standard and they're able to visualize your ideas and give them that extra edge. Working one-on-one -on -one with their designers will give you a design that will live up to your expectations and more. Affordable, expert designs for all occasions, whether it's logos, brochures, or whatever you can dream of. Amazing Designs is your to-go place for creativity and hands-on expertise. Try Amazing Designs today. Contact them via email at amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com. That's amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com. Or reach out by phone at Country Code 1 805 203 We love them so much here at the Literary License Podcast that we use them ourselves. But I'd rather be different than be the same. And on that note, that brings us to Killing Mockingbird, which is a 1962 American drama film directed by Robert Mulligan. The screenplay by Horton Foote is based on Harper Lee's 1960 Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. The film stars Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch and Mary Badham as Scout. It marked the film debut of Robert Duvall, William Wyndon, and Alice Gosley. 
It gained overwhelmingly positive reception from both the critics and the public, a box office success, and earned more than six times its budget. The film won three Academy Awards, including Best Actor for Peck, and was nominated for eight, including Best Picture. In 1995, the film was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation of the National Film Registry as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. In 2003, the American Film Institute named Atticus Finch the greatest movie hero of the 20th century. In 2007, the film ranked 25th of the AFI's 10th anniversary list of the greatest American movies of all time. And in 2020, the British Film Institute included it in their list of the 50 films you should see by the age of 15. The film was restored and released on Blu-ray and DVD in 2012 as part of the 100th anniversary of, the, of Universal Pictures. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer of To Kill a Mockingbird and be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, Gregory Peck. The world never seems as fresh and wonderful, as comforting and terrifying, as good and evil, as it does when seen through the eyes of a child. For a writer to capture that feeling is remarkable. And perhaps that is why one book in the last few years has been so warmly embraced by tens of millions of people. To Kill a Mockingbird, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, and just about every other award a book can win. And now, happily, To Kill a Mockingbird becomes a motion picture, and its memorable characters come vividly alive. That Scout, some people call her Jean Louise Finch, but she insists on Scout. And that's her brother, Jim. Just a boy until the day he learns there is evil in the world. And Atticus Finch, the father, whose devotion to justice places him and his children in jeopardy. I've been appointed to defend Tom Robinson. Now that he's been charged, that's what I intend to do. You've taken his... You'll excuse me, Mr. Ewell. What kind of man are you? You got children of your own. Atticus Jim says his watch is going to belong to him someday. That's right. What are you going to give me? There's a pearl necklace. There's a ring that belonged to your mother. You want to tell us what really happened? I got something to say. And if you ain't gonna do nothing about it, then you're just a bunch of lousy, yellow, stinking cowards. Hello, welcome back to the Legislation Podcast. We're discussing To Kill a Mockingbird from 1962. And starting with you, David, what are your thoughts of the film To Kill a Mockingbird? Okay, so I, I was quite in love with this movie. Um, I think it was extremely and highly educational. Generally, I love everything that's educational. I love like, you know, watching TV shows, movies that are just for the leisure thing. But even more when there's educational parts in it, there's like a life lesson or like a self-help something or a psychological analysis something. And this movie definitely hit that map, um, tick that box. Um, it was interesting to see like the, how the movie transformed. So the beginning was like, very much like um, a very idyllic um, 
story of this like family well not perfect obviously you know you can imagine the mother wasn't there but then they had this like family they were happy the children were playing the father was a lawyer they weren't perfect but they were happy and suddenly he started seeing all the secrets you know the whole town and all the people the darkness and the sad things like racism and equality ignorance and justice so it's kind of like seeing the growth of the children as a character one of the things i loved the most like heavily is the father this father figure Articus is really in my ideal world like the ideal father I've never had sort of thing as in kind of like it was educational for the children guiding them uh, giving them like life lessons but without indoctrinating them if that makes sense he was almost so too good to be true wasn't exactly, he exactly yeah so I don't know if the the the, the you know the writer who created the, the character did it on purpose as some kind of like the idea of sorry the idea of what like education is supposed to be for children i don't know that could be um but it, it, it was an amazing figure it was amazing to see him, him giving the children life lessons all the time but without being too aggressive without being too um indoctrinating if you know what i mean it's, it wasn't kind of like you need to learn this is important this is the way it is it wasn't kind of like guiding them and then they would have end up to see things with the, the the things the way the way things are. Sorry, um, like for example, when he was teaching scouts about uh, put yourself in in other people's skin, for example, she, I think she got that like and it was an evolution throughout the story, and she can understand that with the Boo Radley character, for example. Um, and then slowly she got into that up until the very end, and when at the end. Um, and she she looks around and the story and and then she understands the the Radley characters and the whole story and everything. It's and then she's evolved properly and she's grown. And you kind of see that that the in teaching and the lessons of the father actually work. What did and you think of Gregory that. Peck? What did you think of Gregory Peck as the choice for Atticus Finch? He is the best choice ever. Couldn't have been yeah. another actor, could it have? I know that they were looking at Rock Hudson and a few others that just would not have been the same. Gregory Peck is one of these strange actors. I mean, even when you see him later on, like as the father in The Omen. Right. There is a respectability about him that he portrays. And I he don't know. He does come across that way. But he, he also was in Moby Dick, remember? Yeah, yeah. Moby Dick as well. And He's a, he's a very yeah. watchable actor and he's an actor that you can't take your eyes off of, but he's an actor, but he's, he's one of these weird actors that you, no matter what he does, you believe him yeah. and you're on board with him. And even when he did on Moby Dick and, you know, and he's playing Captain mm -hmm. Ahab, who's a bit mad, you're still on board with him the whole time. You still, you know, the thing is like, you know, you, you, you're, you're with him the whole time. And I think he's, it's quite weird because I find that he's very, underappreciated really you know you, you know when they mention great actors they you know they you know they mention these role of great actors and Gregory Peck is very seldom mentioned oh in the top 10. What was that movie Duel Under the Sun with Jennifer Jones? I love that movie my mother loves that movie it's such a good old movie I wish Joe was here he could probably tell you how it was made <laughs> no we Joe. But in the time that, that Gregory Peck was like acting who was at that time 
Well, there um there are other people who are up for the role of There's several, uh, but Atticus. No. Um and they who went on like a huge search. Harper Lee was not sold on Gregory Peck until she saw him in costume. So he was not her first pick. I mean, interestingly enough, they were talking about James Stewart, but James Stewart found that the role was too controversial for him. Really? Yeah, which is quite within Rock Hudson. I mean, the problem with Rock Hudson is that he was doing a lot of these tear jerky kind of movies like Midnight Obsession and stuff like this. Well, so he was, I don't he think was he... too busy being a sex symbol. Well, Gregory Peck was kind of sexy in his own right with some of some of them his his westerns and things. I mean, so I don't was... th- but I don't think he'd been able to get across the whole father thing. That's the problem. No, this was and not Gregor- a sexy part, was it? I guess depending on what you deem sexy. Well, I think that you need to have that kudos and that air about you that you can, that you're steadfast, you're steadfast, rightful, and true. Right. And I think that, and that, I think that's where Gergu Peck is able to hit it on all cylinders because if you, you can't have any kind of weakness in that role. No. But at the same time, it's really, really hard to, to play a role like that and not come across an egotistical, prick right he doesn't come across like that at all because you know if someone's very moralistic and you see people in other films and they're very moralistic and they have this you know moralistic you know platform they can come across as quite egotistical it's like oh you're talking down to me and you don't get that with his character here you get him where you know and the thing is and I think where the film does very does very well to match the book is that he does it to a part, certain extent where it's like, you know, he doesn't criticize anybody. And I think that's very that's what's very important about the Atticus Finch character, because even when people are doing wrong, he finds he knows the reason why they are the way they are. He doesn't make excuses for them, but he's like, this is the way they are because of blah. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but it does give you an understanding. And, and to have someone to look at that, it's like, okay, I might not agree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. Well, he did get Best Actor. I mean, it got nominated for eight, including Best Picture. I mean, it definitely did well. Mm-hmm. And it resonated. In his face on he doesn't move, you take it. <laughs> he, has his, he has his way of like, like, this little, like this little thing is that, He's even he's even able to like you know like in the courtroom you see him in the courtroom sequences, and he holds the ground and he's and he's doing and he's doing his bit and but then when he then when he reacts to the children the way they reacts to them and gives them this tenderness and this loving and it's kind of like and being able to play play both sides off of each other that way is it's hard I don't you know I don't not many actors can do it I mean it'd be interesting to see what the stage plays like with Matthew Modine. Because I can't picture him doing that at all. Because for him, I don't, you know, well, it doesn't help that he did um, what you might call it, um, Stranger Things, where he, play, uh, he plays a lot of assholes recently. Right. But it's kind of hard um, to see him play that kind of character. Because I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an easy character to play. And, I don't and think they, it is. And to be able to win with it. You know, James Earl Jones auditioned for the role of Tom Robinson, but I don't think that they didn't think it wasn't Rock Peters or Brock Peters. Do you know that he actually would start to cry while filming his testifying scenes without rehearsing it that way? And Gregory Peck said instead of looking at him in the eye, he would he wouldn't look at him in the eye because every time he did when they were filming the courtroom scenes, it would choke up Gregory Peck. 
That's how, you know, I mean, if you go back and you look after you know this, you see there's a lot of freaking emotion. I don't even know if it's method acting, but I mean, there's a, I mean, just the whole, all of the, just all of the constructs, the social constructs and everything that was going on in the South back then. I mean, it, I could see where it'd be very emotional for a black man to play that part. Cause he was, this isn't that far removed from back in the day, you know, I mean, had he, McDaniels couldn't even accept, you know, sit with everybody else after Gone with the Wind when she got her Oscar. So, I mean, it's probably serious emotion when this guy is doing his part as, as Tom Robinson. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, you, we only see Tom Robinson in the court sequences, like in the book. We don't know anything about him. No. And we don't have any scenes with him or, you know, because scout and her brother don't have any interaction with him it's only in seeing him as a spectator in the courtroom right and to be able to find an actor who's able to convey all this if all this information for one basically one long scene really you know because you don't you know because you know you get the court sequences and what's going on in court and he's just sitting there you know like you, know, you get the camera panning over to him every once in a while but then you get and then you get his story as he's standing there. The only thing I did find a little bit problematic, and I'm sure this is because of it's 1962, is that they kind of taken away the rape. It's like now he like she forced to kiss him. No, the rape is still there. Is it? Because I I felt it like oh, I I felt I read it like he um that she you know that she tried to kiss him. That's well, she says. portrayed it as well. He said that she beat him, and he wouldn't stop beating. He was beating her, but that's the whole point. He was on top of her. He was hitting her. He was molesting her. But he had a gimpy mm. arm, and that was the whole point. He couldn't have yeah. possibly have raped her. Yeah. So, I mean, but I'd say that in in the book, the rape is a bit more stronger than in the film. Yeah. The film is kind of underlined. It's like under. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you can feed into what it is. Right. And I don't know if I don't know if I didn't if I hadn't read the book before and then watched the film would I if I just saw the film on its own would I have been able to pick up the rape as easily because I read the book and I was familiar with the book because I actually watched the, who I, did this they have the, playing um, Poozie what's there what was her name oh my gosh what a vile human being she was huh I mean one? I feel bad that her father's a jerk and everything but holy crow well I mean the thing is is that but like they say in the book, and I think, you know, it's the great thing about the book is the book is able to flesh things out a little bit easier with like one or two lines, which is kind of hard to do in a film. But just what but she thing- said, you know, if you guys don't do something about this and convict him, then you're all yellow and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, so she did whatever she could. She knew that nothing happened, but you got to wonder, and I hate to use the term, some people are slow. Some people just are not educated, but some people are environmentally retarded. That's what I call it. <laughs> well, I think that, yeah. that is what's going on with this girl. She has nothing going on. No, I don't. But the thing is, is what you find out, though, in the book, and the book's a lot more clear than here. I mean, Gregory Peck, when he's, you know, he does mention bits and pieces, and I guess it's for us, the audience, to put the pieces together. But that the father has been having sexual relationships with her. So they're obviously she's sexually abused. Right. Another thing is that, that he physically abuses her. So, so basically, and what, bruises. and what, Gre- and, but what Gregory Peck says, or um, Atticus Finn says, is that 
you know, she's like a child. And in order to, in order to hide her own sins, she's pushing her sins on the someone else to protect herself. Because you also have to remember that if she did come clean, what's going to happen to her? She's going to go back to her father, first of all, because where else is she going to live? And it's going to create a whole host of problems. I'm not saying that makes her innocent, no. but it gives you an understanding of why she's, she's perpetrating this she lie. Are you assuming she's a teenager? She's supposed to be 19. In the book, she's 19. Okay, I couldn't remember. Because she's an adult. And the thing is, is that if she was under, if she was underage, then basically the whole incident would have been instant death for Tom Robinson. So, I mean, did you think that the book ended differently than the novel? Because in the book, it may be not so clear, but in the movie that Tom um, Robinson was death by cop, he suicided by cop, he knew he was going to get shot. Do you think that that's how they presented it in this book, in the, in the movie? In the movie, what happens is different from the book because what happens is, is that as he's being taken to the jail, that's when he tries to escape. In the book, he's in the prison. He's in the prison yard trying to escape. So, and the thing is, is that this kind of creates a different scenario because this makes it sound like that, okay, if he's in a car and it's moving, what do you mean he's trying to escape? So this makes it look like that basically that the cops killed him right away because they don't want him to go on appeal in the movie. That, that, that's what the impression I got anyway. Yeah, but in the book, because he might have been in prison and he might have, and there is a possibility that it, it kind of, that he could have maybe tried to escape, which it is possible. So it gives that idea that maybe, you know, that he, there's, you know, the possibility, because like you've been shot 17 times. Well, just, in, the, in, the book, in the book, yeah, it could be that he gave up. Or maybe he didn't try to escape and they shot him anyway, but it's ambiguous. Right. Well, I mean, knowing, film, knowing what we know about the cell, mm -hmm. from historically speaking, it probably was, if you, they probably did just shoot him, say, oh, he tried to run, you know? Well, I think, I think that in the movie, I think that, that that's the narrative that they wanted to say. That's because the thing like. is, if, he, if they were transporting him and he tried to escape while he's being transported, Another thing, if he's in the back of a cop car, and we know that cop cars basically you can't open them from the inside. Yeah. You know, because if you're in the back seat of a cop car, the only time that you can open up the back seat of the cop car is that someone's got to be outside the car to let you out. So how was he trying to escape? So that gives you the impression that the police just basically took, you know, carting him off, pulled off to the side of the road, opened the back door, and shot him. How many times he needed to be shot? Or you can go now, bam, 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 and that's what that impression is. But if he's in, but but if he's in a, um, but if he is in a prison yard trying to escape, and then that that's a bit comes that becomes a lot more ambiguous. So I think that they to change it to that makes it seem like that basically, you know, they just shot him because there's no chance he's ever going to have an appeal. They're not going to let that happen. I mean, for well, they've reason. actually had trials. I mean, we've got. I mean, they've had trials here. My town has, I mean, I've got a postcard. My town used to be like the racist capital of the area. It has, what's this say? It had a sign up said, the, the whitest people and the blackest earth. That was a sign that hung in my town here. Mm. So, I mean, they actually did have, I mean, if, if you were a black man and you were accused of even looking at a white woman, there, I, I just don't see any justice to be had at all back then. I don't even know why. They well, 
I think what I think what we also have to think of is like, I mean, the story is 1933. Right. This is when the story takes place. The Civil War ended in what 1965. So there wasn't a lot of, I mean, there's like two gen a generation and a half that's passed. But some oh, of the easy. but some of the generation that fought in the Civil War are still very much alive and part yeah. of this community. So Wyatt that's Earp also, was still alive. <laughs> yeah. So you get so so even you know, so even though you know the Civil War has passed. It's going to take a while before the South is going to catch up and move forward with this. You know, I mean, I guess the most the most interesting thing is if you look at World War Two and that after World War after World War Two, how fast Germany was able to piece everything back together and they were able to do it within quite a quick succession. Yeah. You know, considering that, you know. You know, World War II is 1942. It's, you know, we're in 2023 now, but let's take 2000 because it makes life easier. Um, you know, and, it, and you look at, it took them 60 years. I mean, less, it took them less than 60 years. Well, the 90s is when they turned everything around, basically, and were able to rebrand themselves. So it took, you know, 50 years for them to rebrand themselves and to actually get a brand new outlook and to put all that to the past. But that's odd. That doesn't happen. Life, society doesn't happen that quickly so in the south basically i mean they still you know there are i mean even in the book it mentions bits and pieces of how they feel about the north and that but atticus is like we hope that we'll be as open as the north at some point situation but at the same time they got the people that's like well you know this was imposed on us and we're being forced to do this because of right. a war so so well, yeah, I so I thinking, so, so they're gonna still har they're gonna still harbor those old feelings anyway. It's gonna take a while before those old, you know, the society moves forward. You know, this image came to came to my head. You know when um, is Tom or Tim Robinson? Tom. Mm -hmm. When he was in jail and Atticus went to look after him one night, and a bunch of people came to try to kill him, literally with guns and everything. Yeah. Well, I would go back and check how many people were there. There were not 17 and 17 bullets that killed him, right? So I thought that, I don't know, just thing that came, came to my mind, it was like... <clears throat> I mean, the question, I mean, the question arises that is that 17 bullets into anyone is very excessive. It's very excessive. Three or four will drop you quite adequately. Yeah. If someone's trying to run, it would have been easier to shoot them in the leg. Anyway. Well, sometimes you just yeah, but I imagine no, I imagine that the way is like well, either there were 17 different uh, people with guns, so everyone shoot, so then you have or if, if I shoot if, if I shoot you once and you die and the story, but if I have to shoot you several times, means that you are stronger, stronger enough to I don't know to do everything that he did, right? That they were saying that he did. So I think I think if you shoot someone 17 times is that you're making a statement that you're not going to get away with what you what, and there's no way that we that think was a, that was a anything. statement to put out there to the other black men probably yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was an intimidating factor you know because they did they they but you know what I noticed I, I noticed it in the book and I kind of noticed it with Calpurnia in the movie did you notice though how they were talking about 
the Ewells were always saying the black people were going to depreciate his property when it was probably the only thing that was keeping his property with some kind of value because they kept a tidy little village, the black people, when they lived around each other. And they mentioned but, it both in the book and the movie. So he's just an asshole. But, you, but the thing is, is whenever you get a subgenre of society in any kind of society, the people who are always more opposed are the really, really poor. Oh, they're coming here to take our jobs. They're coming here. And it's like, the thing is, they're taking the jobs that you don't want to freaking do. Basically. And, and, and so they, and so, but they'll blame all the world's roles on like, you know, the immigrants or whatever that may be. And they'll, and, and because the thing is, at the end of the day, McDonald's is always hiring what's stopping you from getting a job. <laughs> you know? And so it's, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty easy thing to sit there and blame. You know, all your poor and worries, instead of blaming yourself, it's easy to blame other people for, you know, why, I mean, and the thing is, is, okay, I mean, if you look at the Yule family anyway, in the setting of this town, is that, yeah, they go way, way back, but at the same time, I mean, the kids are dirty, they don't, they, there's no running water, they live in a shed, um, they, they don't send their kids to school, basically, you know, the truant officer gives up after, they get them to school for one day of the year, and does, you know, and that, Oh, I don't want my children to go to school because I don't want my children to be educated. You know, it's like it's like he it's like he's starting his own little Amish society with his own family, and it's kind of, but and uh, you know and the thing is is you know but yet you know no one will you know we can't find jobs. Well, the thing is it's like it's not like you're trying to do anything to better your life anyway. So what they do is they kind of sit back, blame the world for all their problems where they got off their ass and probably tried to become more of a member of society, maybe their lives would improve. You know, you know, between watching this movie, I don't know, I didn't live back then, I'm only guessing, but I mean, I do have, we have, you know, this is the South, we know lots of black people, but you know, they do have lives, they do have, they do have their cliques, they have their things they do together, everybody does, you know, and it, it shows that, but it should, I don't know if it should be a segregated kind of thing, though. I mean, but everybody has their little cliques. But it, but I mean, it doesn't but, mean you should be subjugated to being afraid to come out in, in any capacity. And I mean, it's, this was just crazy. And the worst thing about the, the Civil War is, it, I mean, everybody, slavery, slavery, slavery. The South was not completely fought over the Civil War. Maybe a tenth of people in the South owned slaves. Not everybody was a rich plantation owner. They were farmers. They were businessmen. A lot of them fought the Civil War because of taxes, because the North was coming down so hard on them. So it wasn't. Well, it wasn't. I mean, the Civil War. The Civil War was never about slavery. Anyway. No, Sla a lot the of slavery. Don't know that. The, the ending of the ending of slavery was to punish the South for yeah. the war, because the war started that the South wanted to break away and have their own money system. Yeah. You know, and that's how it started. And then, and then, you know, well, you can't do that. And they kept arguing. Then the taxation happened. And then it, and it kind of. Yeah, well, the taxes, because I mean, not everybody, plantations, I don't know, you guys probably, Keith might remember, but plantations, the ones that are still existent, mansions, big pillared, gone with the wind mansions. Not everybody could afford that. So, I mean, a lot of people think well, yeah, I mean, it's all about slavery and it's not. No, it wasn't about slavery was an after effect for the Civil War, but it wasn't right. the reason why the Civil War happened. It wasn't like, oh, you need to get rid of your slaves. It wasn't about that at all. 
it was because you lost the civil war this is what yeah. we're going to do and that's a total different emphasis on the whole situation so we're going to punish you for first of all starting this war first of all not paying the taxes first of all getting brother to fight against brother and because of that we're going to take away your slaves and make them free, right. free men but it wasn't it wasn't based like oh you got slaves so let's start a war yeah you know? and i think that that gets kind of lost in translation i think that well i think also i mean it's sort of like i mean there's a, there's a lot of disgruntled there's a whole movement down in texas called texas because they want to get away from all this crazy until people calm the hell down yeah but i mean it has nothing to do with anybody's r racial bias or race or well i mean that, let's sit there and say movement. well let's sit there and say that texas desires to start a war with america and if texas loses and you know hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, god because someone will say oh my god literary license is talking about texas starting war yeah no but uh, in a theory hypothetically steering that's it then they started a war because they wanted their independence or okay i mean let's take it out of texas say scotland wants to break away right, right. and um england doesn't want to let them go and so they, they, they start doing things by punishing them it's like well, okay, well that's been going on this, for centuries <laughs> but the thing is that then if a war if a war happened between Scotland trying to get their freedom and against e the England or the UK uh, or you know to whether Wales or all the other countries will be in Scotland, what would basically happen if Scotland lost, then the UK will have to make them pay for even thinking that they could break away. Right. And so, and whatever that's that, exactly whatever, what happened. Good point. And whatever that would mean would mean this. The same thing, like if you're looking at Spain with um, right. Barcelona, you know, or or Canada with Quebec trying to break away all the time, and, and the same thing would happen, sort of thing. So, you I know, think they should just let Quebec have Quebec. Fuck off. Now, now the question. <laughs> that, I mean, the question basically is that if the South did win the Civil War. I'm not, you know, that doesn't mean that the South is going to go, okay, now everyone in the North can have slaves. Yeah. You know what I mean? people in the South didn't like slavery. The people don't realize that it wasn't that popular here either. You know? So. Well, the thing is, the thing is, it was, I mean, slavery was, <laughs> slavery is an odd thing anyway, because slavery kind of started that basically the European countries went to Africa and Africans sold their own people off. For well, after they kicked their ass in a war, a warring nation, you know, that, that they always had their civil wars going on. And well, they don't talk about what, the barbary. For whatever, for whatever, for whatever reason, they used people as commerce for whatever reason. Yeah. And then, of course, they went to, I mean, I mean, if you look at, you know, Barbados and Cuba and all When those. you look at the Mayan and the Aztecs, they used to have, they used to conquer their enemies and make slaves out of them. This is not something that is new. Well, I mean, if you go back far enough in time, everyone, everyone's family. Everybody was a slave, was a slave at, one, at point. one point. But, but the thing is, is the, the slavery thing in America at that time basically was we need labor to help build up this town. Right. So we're going to purchase them from Africa, which they sold to the Europeans to bring over to America to right. help settle it and build it up and for and all the work and stuff like that. Because you have to remember, people weren't living that long either. No. And so they 40. would put them in re-education centers, which basically would be, you know, 
where Barbados and all those countries are and those islands. That's the reason why they have the French islands and the, you know, yeah. the, you know, the Spanish islands and so on and so forth. And then once they were re-educated and then they sold them like livestock. So you got the strongest black man, you know, getting with the strongest black woman to come up with the strongest, you know, labor force. And yes, it's a horrible thing. And don't get me wrong. It just, just right. doesn't like, you know, minimalize anything whatsoever. Yeah. And then from that point forward, it's like, okay, well, we no longer need to get them from Africa because now we have our, you know, it's a bit like, you know, theatrically, you know, theologically speaking here, not so, you know, not to diminish anything here for anyone that's listening to this and any hate mail you want to send me, go for it. But, um, but the thing is, um, if you look at it by that point, is it been like bringing um, horses over to America? Yeah. That's and how so they therefore, thought about by, it. They talk, thought about it as livestock. Livestock. And by that, and the thing is, once you have you know 150 horses, by that time you start, you know, over decades and hundreds of years, you have enough horses that you don't need to bring them from whatever country you're bringing them from. And so basically this replicated that way. But there are a lot of there, I mean, but there are a lot of states in the south and in the midwest where they did not have slavery no you know as as america during the civil war where people tend to forget is at that same time the westward movement was happening yeah. and there wasn't slaves going on in the westward movement no they were happened to be with old they old, were just wiping out the indians <laughs> yeah they're wiping out the indians which is wiping out all the indigenous Plains cultures, horse cultures. Well, it's because they had land that they wanted, sort of thing, and you know, that, and that's yeah. another story altogether. But at the same time, the people who owned slaves was from, I guess, if you want to look at it from a Boston point of view, is the people that came off the Mayflower and their descendants. But they were people who, you know, who landed in jo Jamestown, the first first settlers there, and the first settlers there, and basically they became the old family, and the old family had them because we always had them, we've had them for generations, but we continue having them. But those families are rare and in between. There's not a lot of them, so. Well, a lot of people in this country did not own slaves. You know, and another you thing know, is, is I that, mean, you know, just, I, I, if you were. perpetuate this still. Well, the thing is the slave trade and all that other stuff sort of thing is that after, by the time you got to the, after the, after the Revolutionary War, they no longer, you know, they know, you know, they, you could no longer buy a slave at that time. Basically the slaves that you had after the that point. You, yeah were the ones that well, they were selling you. them here in the country they might not have been bringing them over you know on the Amistad well, they, they, anymore, but. well no well the, that the Amistad and all that sort of stuff ended like in before the revolutionary right. war anyway anyway um because at that point you know Spain was no longer trading with England and yeah. England was England owned. I think the Barbary Barbary coast slave trade had ended as well that was the Irish and the Scottish they were selling they sold more white slaves in, in, during those days than they did the black. Well, I mean, that's how that's how Australia was founded by the penal. Well, that's system. a penal. Wasn't Australia a penal colony originally? It's basically what happened was the the what happened basically was that the jails became too full, and so they dumped them in Australia. Yeah, that's wild. You know, but you know, 
you know, crazy what, Brits. You know, for well, I mean, for what for what history is, history is what it is. Um, yeah. you know, the thing I is, mean, it just it doesn't mean that it reflects on everybody now. I well, mean, I think I think what people need to also remember is is that when it came to news and stuff like this, it wasn't like everyone knew people. Most people weren't even educated to know what was going on in their own neighborhood, let alone what was going yeah. on hundred miles from their own home. Now we have 5,000 cable stations 24 seven so, to keep everybody riled all up. Yeah. But you know, the, but the, the problem basically is in the, with the South is that basically if you have black people and you look at them as a, you know, a subspecies, and that's how they're being taught. It's going to take a lot of time to replicate that and change that. Right. Now, you know, being from the North and, and, you know, from 1965 to when I left in 1982, we didn't really have that segregation and that feeling about um, We never had African that Americans. where we came from. We but, we, but we also don't have an institutionalized history of slavery no. anyway. Now, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what my education would have been like if I was born in Alabama or Georgia or something like that. And I can't tell you what they're, you know, I didn't no. grow up there. I don't know people who grew up there. I can't tell you. But it, there, there could be an institutionalized version of the way you look at things. I don't think so but, after being down well, here for 30 years. I don't think well, so. well, yeah, but what I'm saying is that probably not now because now we're globalized and we're a little bit more hooked up all together at yeah. the moment. So, our, you know, our views have changed and we do look at things slightly different and stuff like this. So, you know, so it's probably not as institutionalized, but maybe in 1965 to 19, up to 1970s, maybe it was. I think it's it hard still to say. Was. I think it still was. You know, then. you know, at the same time, if you watch the show, The Chippendales on the Disney Plus or Stars, you know, basically the Chippendales were 1980s. Yeah, and yeah. they and they had a black stripper that was very very popular, but they didn't put them in the calendar because there'd be problems selling that calendar in the in south. In the eighties, in the late in in the early eighties, I would have still bought that shit. I don't care. Yeah, but see, but but the thing is, again, you're coming from the north, so you we we have a different yeah. idea. We don't look at it that way. So no, obviously, I'm from someone appreciating, you you said it was the north against the south. Right. Yeah. Right. Supposedly. This is really stupid. But where is the middle? Mason-Dixon line fell right at like where Maryland, Pennsylvania, below Pennsylvania, and stuff. Anything below Pennsylvania, like Ohio, all those states were northern states. Anything below there, like Kentucky, on down, everything, all the way to Florida. And who decides? Who, 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 who was saying, okay, up to here is the north, and up to here. You belong that, to they have a thing, it's called the Mason Dixon line that separates yeah. the Civil War North from the Civil War South. And when and, you're traveling, like when I'm driving home, it'll say right there still, there's a sign that says Mason Dixon line. Cracks me up every time. It's still, there. I mean, I, I don't know who put the border there, who who came up with um, why I don't that know either. That's a good, a good idea. Uh, did, did actually the North and the South went to like fighting? 650,000 men died. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Brother against brother. I mean, it was it's a real messed up war. Which year? Huh? Which year? Up until was my 1861, 18th. I want to say, to 1865. I think that's yeah. when the Emancipation Proclamation came out. And Lincoln freed the slaves. No, wait. Or did Lincoln free the slaves during the Civil War? I can't remember now. After. 
After, okay, okay. Yeah, during the, uh, the, the what's it called, the Immaculation, the Proclamation or something? Emancipation Proclamation. Emancip yeah, that's it. I mean, it says here, the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, this is was... the Mason-Dixon line right here. Yeah. Who decided that, that that's Maryland. In Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Delaware in a colonial America. There's a, there's a dispute about the thingy started a century earlier, um, and it had to do with people who were um, loyalists to the king of England. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's how it started. Which and king? then the king, king George, um, king George really? here in UK. Yeah, because it was a we were there. America was colonial at that time. Yeah, we were. And we then were and then y'all's ass. And then after after no, the you were still a colony in eighteen sixty. We were a colony. No, 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 no. No, the seventeen hundreds. The Dixon line came from is what he looked up. And so basically, so basically, what happened was okay. above the Mason Dixon line is basically people who were fighting for the for America's freedom. freedom. Underneath that, they were still kind of loyalist sort of thing. I don't know so South after, Carolina and all them didn't seem too loyalist to me, but. Well, I mean, there's some wars that happen there and stuff like this, but at, at the end of the day, then what happened is, is that once America had its freedom and stuff like this, then things became a bit economically tough as it does yeah. with any kind of freedom of any country. So basically your money systems go down and everything goes down because then you have to come out with a brand new system to build yourself back up. So right. you have that down. You know, like if you look at when the, the Berlin Wall fell right. and you look at, Poland and um, all those um, all those Eastern European countries, and when communists ended, they had about 10, 15 years where they couldn't buy a loaf of bread. That's but true. then at but then they start building themselves up, and then of course during that period, what you have is people like, want oh, we should have stayed with England now. We should. I mean, it's not a bit like Brexit now. It's like oh, we should have stayed with England. We should stay with the EU now. That was the thing that's so tough for us. Blah, blah, blah. And we're getting that now. And it's, the same thing happens when you go through a tough time. It's like oh, we should have stayed. We should never fought back. And so what happened? He had a bunch of loyalists in the in the south. Stories. And we and life was easier for us when we were. We should never have fought. So then you have that brewing underneath the whole civil war sort of thing for you know for another. Well, I mean. I, 80 years going underneath it so this is all brewing at the same time which would actually start off the civil war but there's i mean it's all very very complicated and it's all very very entwined because the thing is you can't just look at one moment in time you have to go back and start tracing things back and right. everything kind of leads up to here so you can't just go you know you know it's been like you know hitler came into not you know, hitler came in and he rose and he did this well, the thing is, there's a backstory to able to understand that. It doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't let them off the hook, but you have to give you right. an understanding that after right. World War One, Germany was extremely poor. People were eating people. They had to resort to cannibal, you know, some societies had to resort mm. to cannibalism and, you know, they couldn't feed anything. And so then when Hitler rose and was able to take them out of the depression, therefore it kind of brought this other, you know, it was kind of brought this other thing. So we blame these people and so forth and so forth. And he got them out of that. So that kind of led to that. But you got to look at the backstory before you can look at the what happens situation. So. Gotcha. But um, but so so we're looking at to kill a mockingbird, you know, especially in the film version. I mean, you're looking at 1933 to 1936. So those ill-harbored feelings of the Civil War 
and not being able and then blaming your, you know, the poor blaming their social woes on this. And then you also have the people who do have inf influence and money. All of a sudden it's like, in a way they still have slaves because now they have housekeepers, but now they're paying them the main, the, the bare minimum. So, you know, even though addict, Calpurnia. Calpurnia. Calpurnia is, is not a slave and she's being, you know, she's a bit separate. But if you look at the other people living in this town, you know, and they're going, oh, you know, we got her because, you know, she's a pound. We're giving her a dollar a week sort of thing. Right. Who's picking up after my mess, basically cleaning my house. That's what they thought. But that. she was actually very integral and in, in especially Scout growing up. And well, no, I'm saying outside of her. She oh, was I actually know. a member of the family. So Atticus had her as an employee and but as a family member. So she was a family member. But if you compare her role in the family and you look at other people who had black servants in this right. town they're treated a lot differently they're not a member of the family and people are going to Atticus going why is she such an integral part of your family she's the hired help and to be honest and the money that they're paying them are kind of slave labor payments anyway but you know? when you think somebody like Atticus Finch would pay her a fair wage because he is a well, lawyer. Well, obviously, but he tells you that he's paying her a fair wage because when they go to church, she how much money she gives to the church. Obviously, she's getting fair wage. When Scout goes to her house in the book, you find out that her house is nice. Her house is well-decorated. Her children are well-educated. Her children, So that gives the impression that she's making a good wage. You know, she's not, you know, she's not living in the slave quarters. Right. Or the, the, the Negro quarters. Right. You know, she's kind of like above, you know, she's in there, but, you know, but you can tell by how that Atticus is treating her as an equal, as an employee uh -huh. on that same level where the other help is like, you're not quite sure, but you do know that when they go to Tom Robinson's house to tell the widow that his, oh, that he so died, sad. that, you know, and the, at the way the people way their houses are and the way that they have to live that obviously they're not making good wages i wonder what happened i mean you know i wonder if the community embraced the widows when things like this happened and helped them because clearly they were already poor and they were trying to make their way through life you know it's well i mean what we have here is we have lee De deacons who basically stood up in the courtroom for tom robinson and then the judge throws them out for disrupting the court. Right. So then what we have is that um, when Robinson dies, she offers his widow a job. And then he has to go and tell Tom Mules, who's like, you know, she's taking an hour and a half to come to work because she's avoiding your place because of all the shit you're putting her through. And you either stop this right now. And then he tells her, goes, you need to stop this. She's going this way. You're not going to make her walk all the way around because of whatever. And right. then he starts following her to the point where then she shows up for work. And she has to call him from his house to the store. And he's outside loitering. He goes, you got to stop loitering here because I'll call the police on you. And it'll be the last thing you do. Right. So right then and there. So obviously, you know, he feels differently, you know, and the thing is that he fought for him and he tried to fight. You know, I and that I found what was interesting about that storyline is that I'm not quite sure why Atticus didn't bring him forward as a character reference for Tom for Robinson. That's a good question. 
So yeah, that 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 kind of alluded me too. Now that I think about it. But yeah, that's mm -hmm. a good question. I, that who knows? I mean, <clears throat> I guess I guess you can't. I don't know. I guess that it kind of, that does kind of get by you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Would it have made a difference? I don't know if it'd make a difference, but I mean, the thing is, uh, I mean, structurally in the, you know, as far as the scene goes and having to stand up and then having him thrown out of court paints a scene that basically they're not going to listen to reason anyway. So maybe as far as constructing your story along, it, it, it does pay that forward that basically, Tom, you know, it's foreshadowing that Tom Robinson is doomed anyway. What'd you think about Robert Duvall? We cannot not talk about Robert Duvall as the, the really pale Boo Radley. <laughs> Who is like um, yeah. it's Robert, I mean, I think he does a good role. I mean, the thing is he kind of just pops in the end and yeah. sort of thing. But I, I mean, it's kind of totally it's kind of weird to have I forgot he was even in this. It's kind of weird to have a white guy play this role, I guess. But maybe it was a lot easier than finding an albino black person. So So is he black? Boo Radley's supposed to be black, but it's be, yeah, because his mom and, well, his mom and dad were black, weren't they? Yeah, it just seems funny the name Boo Radley because <laughs> I don't <laughs> Boo, yeah. Well, it's because he was white and pale as a ghost because he's albino. That's why. I, I, I mean, but I saw beginning. Robert. Duvall. Well, see, I, I didn't get that from the the movie. What's that? That he was an albino. I, I didn't. Well, I didn't get that. Out well, of and I mean, that there could be a bunch of reasons for that. Basically, because doing a film in 1962 might have been really hard to find an albino at that time yeah, yeah, to yeah, being yeah. a film. What I'm saying. And, they probably didn't have the contact lenses to put in the eyes and I no, mean, no, and, but, and the white what hair. I'm saying, I didn't get. I didn't get when I read the book that that Boo Radley was an albino person. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, I, I mean it, it's in the book. Well, yeah. thought, well, this is what they thought. Boo Radley is more than six feet tall with yellow teeth, a scar across his entire face, and blood-stained yeah, hands from eating raw cats. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was so like that's a children. Uh... He was. So yeah, he's an interesting character, needless to say. But so. well, what I I like um I I found it a bit like in the movie, you know, there are things uh happening in different times, right? When when you read the book, things happen in certain moments, right? And then when I was watching the movie, I was like for the first let's say half an hour, but hold on, this part never happened now. This part happened after, you know. Is and I didn't like that they didn't follow how it goes. Right. Um, I think that probably it was really expensive to make the movie at that time. But I would have had when when Scout went to school because that that thing was really interesting when she was in the, the first day of of class of, of of yeah class and. The new teacher didn't know how everything was going in town, and and you could see that that she was ah oh, yeah this this boy doesn't have any food because that's the way they're poor and they, he wouldn't accept any food because that's that's how that he's right. me. I imagine that if we would have seen that in 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 movie, right like in happening, it probably would give you more idea how everything uh, was going on there. Um. 
it was really like I really it was for moments was a bit like um annoying for me scout voice <laughs> like hey, this is like that what <laughs> but <laughs> but it was cool like how like you know like as I said at the beginning like that innocence you know that the not knowing something and asking and then make you make you may, maybe sometimes getting into trouble is is the because she doesn't know and no one is telling them how the things are as, as, as they are mm -hmm. um i mean um scout's voice as the old as the narrator is done by a different actress so yeah yeah yeah, yeah so sort of thing but um i think that i think that timber voice of a child actor in 62 they're all kind of a bit like that whether you watch the old disney films or like, hey, yeah yeah and they have a different they have a look about them too the kids i don't know i don't i'm not saying the children actors were ugly back then <laughs> but they kind of prettied them up since you know they just weren't as i guess fancy i don't know crimped and puffed up i don't know fluffed i don't but well, the kids these days are more glamorous, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I guess another thing is, is that, you know, during To Kill a Mockingbird anyway, is that this is before films started being a bit more naturalistic with their way of acting. You know, back here, I mean, everything's very stagey anyway. The acting yeah, is stagey yeah. and stuff like this, but that's the way that they filmed things back then. Yeah. You know, the naturalistic way of acting didn't come into like the nineteen, the late 1960s, but very the 1970s is when we started seeing more naturalized acting, you know, with the Marlon Brando's and the Robert Redford's and Paul right. Newman's and stuff like this. And that's when we started getting more realistic with our acting. So, and what you have there is that, you know, when you do, you know, and, and to be honest, it's only up and it's only recently within the last 20 years that we got realistic kid acting for a change. Yeah. Because before that, all we did is got kids with bull cuts and, you know, Macaulay Culkin's running around sort of thing up until that point. And then I think that all changed with like Game of Thrones and get like a Bella Ramsey. And I know. I was just like sitting that. there thinking about Bella Ramsey. She definitely is not, not the epitome of child actress for sure. Mm. I mean, I'm really impressed with her. I really am. I was really, I was shocked to see her eight year old performance, 10 year old performance in, um, you know, like uh, Game of Thrones. Then you see her in The Last of Us. She's pretty, talented little girl well, actually she's not a little girl she's 19 but <clears throat> they, they definitely so, the, the child actors of our age and our day and age are definitely a lot different than 40 and 50 years ago yeah i mean yeah i mean i mean i guess i guess when you start selling real actors and stuff like that i guess Haley joe osmond's probably the first realistic actor though when you saw him in interviews it was like talking to a a dwarf sort of thing because yeah. he's kind of a little bit too old for his 12 year old self so 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 yeah so i think that's probably you know sort of that's probably it's probably the acting style at that you know that time situation
we should do is maybe rate To Kill a Mockingbird the film. And starting with you, Vicky, how many mockingbirds do you rate this? I always hate to be the one that always gives everything a five, but I'm going to give it a five because it is, it's just a great movie. And I hadn't seen it in a long time, hadn't re read the book in a long time. And it was nice to revisit something with my adult eyes. It does, it does make a difference for reading it when you're 12, as opposed to several decades later. Things look a lot different. Hmm. And well, yourself, David? Um, I was going to give it a five, but then after Leandra's theory, I'll give it a 4.9 periodical, because I like the color purple more. <laughs> you are so um, pretentious, you know that? Four-point-nine <laughs> <laughs> so periodical is just about maybe close five. Uh, and what about yourself, Leandro? Um, well, I have to admit that I like more the book than the movie. Um, you know that for me, like sometimes when they made the movies, the director choose, okay, this goes in this order, that goes in the other, and then right, I right. and then I take that license to do not alter the story. Well, sometimes yes, they make it better or not. I didn't. Uh, for me. I like the movie. I would I would like to see more part of the book, be, be maybe a few more little details from the book to make it like. I wish they would have put more incorporation of the book into it. I thought they did a lot, but there was a few things I really wish they would have. Like what? Like what? Um, well, I, I was I, like the the Boo Radley thing. I, I there was more about him in the book. I guess that you just can't put the yes. whole. Yes, yeah, that's what thing. I mean. Like, like for example, no, like give like a little scene inside of the house. Yeah. For example, how how he was living because we we know everything, but it's like a story that someone says that that they remember. But so that's that's all the things that I said. Maybe maybe a few scenes like quickly to, to see like a. Yeah. You know, sometimes I don't know, you just need to a uh, quick glance of the house from the inside to the outside <clears throat> to say, okay, this person is living, I don't know, a sad life. Or a I would have liked if they'd gone into the like the like where the, the black people were living, just like they did in the color purple. I would have liked to see more about their yeah. life. You know, so, they didn't put that in there. Um, I would say yeah, four out of five. I'm going to give this a five out of five. I think that the film becomes stronger once you read the book. So therefore it kind of fills in. There are things I am missing out of the film. I, you know, and I understand because of time restraints and stuff like this, but it right. would have been nicer to have a more of a visualized version of the neighbors and how the whole town operates. But yeah, instead what we, yeah. what we kind of, what we kind of get is we get, it's more about scout and, uh, Atticus and Jem and their family units and how they're reacting to the outside world around them. So, and but I thought like in the book, what you kind of get is you kind of get everything, which kind of gives you more of a landscape and more of a way to look at all the different things. And also you get more of an understanding of how each each people in the neighborhood and everyone around them mm -hmm. feels as well, where you kind of kind of get like these cardboard cutouts of everyone around them sort of thing that probably doesn't express yourself. Yeah. But saying that, you know, you're to do a movie like that to cover all this, you're probably looking at a four to five hour movie. So oh God. like a mini series. It <laughs> well, been a but mini for example, I want to mention something because we, we haven't talked about this. You know the, the 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 part where articles kill the dog. Oh, oh yeah, that wow! Was yeah. For the first time and for the first time, 
the kid saw in, in how, like his dad doing something, you know, like out of love, but not out of love, but like not connected with what he do as a job and literally killing an animal in front of them with a gun. But that's the first time it, we'll see. Okay, we did does back up for five seconds and we're never going to get off here. But the boy was always looking for a reason to admire his father and he yes. wanted a gun. And you're right, because the dog, I guess, apparently is rabid. I think he looks like a big, dumb, floppy-eared dog that was probably minding his own business and they shot the fucker. But apparently Atticus is a sharpshooter and a really good marksman. And so, yeah, that, that showed a little more into how his son thought about him because yeah. he wanted a gun and wanted to idolize his father in a different capacity. And that I totally forgot about. Good catch. Well, yeah. but, for, but for me, it was like, well, the, the dog has rabies. Okay, the, at, that, at that, that time of the life, they used to kill the dog straight away. No treatment. They still do. You can't save a dog from that still. Well, but for me, it's like, okay, do I need to see someone shooting a dog, like the dog falling, where you could maybe show something on the day in the school and you could see how the reality, the reality, that real of, of the people in life. Right. I know, I know the scene, the scene, I know where the scene is going. They were trying to show that they were, the, the boys were really shocked when they saw the dad shooting and said, okay, don't go near the dog. And then they, they rushed. And then the other man said, did you know that your dad was the best shooter in the whole county? Yeah. And all the things, I know, I know why, why the scene is there. I'm not, I'm not saying that it shouldn't. I think I think the scene is there is not as to more is I think it's more importantly to paint the simple fact that Atticus used to be like this, but he's changed and became a better man because he's now like this. Yeah, he has definitely and, evolved, and I think that's what they were trying to say because he has not picked up a rifle in some time apparently. Yeah, so and, he's definitely evolved into another direction. But it also means that Atticus is the is the mirror for ourselves to look at. That means that we that we do not have to be the we do not have to be the byproduct of our parents or by our society that we can change at any time that we choose to. And whether you choose to make that change is up to you. But that's because you come from somewhere and come from whatever your background is doesn't mean that you need to carry the bad stuff forward you can always change and become a better person yes and i think and i think that's what and i think that's why they were i think that's i think that's what that scene's trying to perpetrate um and it's it, i guess and the thing is it kind of it, it kind of gets lost in the book it's only giving it some thought that I think that's what she's trying to portray. But because it becomes so early in the book, it's kind of hard to sit there and where I think if it came like somewhere like after the trial and that scene happened, I yeah. think it would have been a bit more easy to have a bitter understanding of it because it comes at the beginning. We don't, it comes at the point where we don't really know Atticus at all in the book yeah. sort of thing. And in yeah, the movie, it kind of happens and we're kind of going, okay. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know what, you, but my impression was that I was starting to see the movies like the first 10 minutes the articles was saying hello to everyone. Hello, hello. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> for me it was funny you know, because like it's, it's the way here. Hi, hi. <laughs> like the famous in town. Um, it was a strange that they, they they show it really like compress it, but you know, like the story with the neighbor that the kids were saying, oh no, she's really 
crazy, blah, blah, blah. And then articles appear and then she said, oh, hi, uh, Mrs. DuBose, you are really, you're looking really nice today. Your garden is the best in town. And he knew how to flip the situation to be really grumpy to being like, oh, wow. Someone's little crazy ladies in the South that grow vegetables with their funny little hats. You got to learn how to freaking handle them crazy. I'm telling you, you do. You don't want to fuck with any of those girls. No. What about you, Keith? You gave it a five yeah. or four? Yeah, I, I, give I give it a solid five. Oh, five. So, yeah. brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Our next book to screen as part of our America Goes Dark gear will be covering Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg and the film from 1991. And of course, next week we'll be doing Batman the Anime Series. We'll be covering more injustices with the Mad Hatter, the Clock King, and the Riddler all fighting against injustices and getting trying to get the revenge with the Cape Crusader fighting back. We also continue our Doctor Who with the Aztecs, where they land back in time to the Aztecs and trying to make sense of how the Aztecs feel injustice coming towards them. <laughs> and of course, we continue that with DOA from 1949 and the remake from 1988 about, two, about a guy who gets poisoned and trying to find sense and the antidote before he dies. And, the, and finding the injustice behind that. And of course, our monsters and madmen deal with more injustices when we deal with science, with the Invisible Man from 1936 and Abbott Costello meet the Invisible Man from 1951. Trust so it's good night for myself. <laughs> and good night, Vicky. Good night. Good night, David. Good night. Good night, Leandro. It's good night for myself, and we'll see you next week for Batman. He doesn't fight crime or wear a cape He doesn't read minds or levitate But every time my world needs saving He's my Superman Some folks don't believe in heroes Cause they haven't met my dad loves his workshop and rock and roll he's got a hot rod and a heart of gold and you could say he's a man of few words but he talks a lot within and even though i'm a little taller i still look up to him he built me a house in the arms of a tree he taught me to drive and to fight and to dream When he looks in my eyes, I hope he can see That 
My dad's a hero to me. Rust-ridden fenders and doors full of dings. Somehow he can fix about anything. I didn't think he knew how to cry. Our dog died that year. He doesn't always say I love you, but I can hear him loud and clear. He built me a house in the arms of a tree. He taught me to drive and to fight and to dream. When he looks in my eyes, I hope he can see that my dad's a hero to me. Dad's a hero to me.